0: All right, I'm turning on the lights in the living room. Here at the house I grew up in in Bridgewater, New Jersey. And, uh, yeah, this is a Sunday. What is today? Sunday, uh, August 20th, 2023. And I was here Friday and Saturday. Friday I was here for about, I don't know, five hours, four or five hours maybe, and then yesterday I was here for like nine hours. The goal is to uh, go through every closet, drawer, nook and cranny of the house, and I uh, take away the stuff that uh, shouldn't be uh, put in the estate sale or thrown in a dumpster, and it's been a rather mentally, physically, and emotionally draining time, but I feel like today I want to try to get it done. There's been a lot of uh, phases, but I just have really have the basement left to do, and then some stuff here on this level. There's a storage space above the garage, and I found a ton of stuff here that's here now in the dining room, including like all the greeting cards, from my life, from our, from the, our entire family growing up, my mother saved all the greeting cards, and uh, like my father's old schoolwork from Yale University from the early '60s. There was one card. I wonder if I can find it. That had this sort of curious, hmm. It had a curious statement on it that I was sort of confused by. Can I find it here? I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to find it now. But yeah, so it's just a matter of, you know, because we do want to get the estate sale going fairly soon. Oh, cool, what's this? A cool cartoon snake. Let's rattle around together. On the back it just says John. But yeah, it was a it was like a card that had something. Let's see if I can find it. Could this be it? I don't know. It's just so much stuff. Hold on. Let me pause. Alright, I found it here. It's a uh, strawberry shortcake card. Just a little note of cheer. It's from American Greetings. The back it says, strawberry shortcake, life is delicious. She's still like a a relevant character. I don't know. To tell you, sunny thoughts are near. And it says, thanks for the nice time and delicious meal. I really enjoyed myself... If I get a chance, I'll start a Gloxinia for Betty to bring back for you. Thanks again. Love, Louise. And uh, I, I was so confused when I read this. It was just like the card on top. I looked at it. I'll start a Gloxinia for Betty. <laughs> like, like what's what, what that? It's like some, some weird, like, occult ritual, a Gloxinia. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell could that be? But I looked it up, and it is, in fact, just like a plant or a flower or something, right? So nothing nothing that exotic. I want to start a Gloxinia with Betty. <laughs> what the hell? Wild stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Ugh. It's very... I mean, it's... it's a, You know, this task is made more pressing by my upcoming trip, so I really need to get done with my part of it by, um... The, uh by today basically, (laughs) though technically I have, I'm leaving a week from this coming, Tuesday, so, oh man, this, I forgot to take this box, but I'll take that one too, oh yeah, I found this photo, it's, uh, Adamsville School visiting Washington, D.C., May 1981, and I finally found myself there, I recognize so many of my classmates there from, uh, like seventh or eighth grade, I guess, there I am. With the capital behind me, I kind of don't remember this, but I I do recognize a lot of the people that I was in school with. Adamsville School. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think if... hmm. I don't know. I think that was when I was in the special class because they didn't know what to do with me because I had had behavior problems. But I see these different people. Ken, Ken Ellsworth, I see. Can I name any of these other people? But it's this big format wide image very cool I kind of don't remember this trip <laughs> at all uh, I should but I don't, I don't nothing really stands out in the mind uh, with the trip but anyway I wanted to um, take a look at these these I guess in uh, in school I guess they were uh, making um, books and I guess I there's none by me but there's these Handmade books, like hardbound. I guess it was bookbinding in school. I just wanted to read you these books because they're pretty cool. Um, I think it was like my brother and sister when they were like between 5 and 10 years old or something in that range. Let's just look through these. <laughs> I I didn't read a lot of them, but I, I did glance at them. Let's start off with this one. Being a Construction Engineer by John Nora. And there's construction paper at the beginning. Yeah, here it is. John Nora Valley School, Grade 4, June 1980. Table of Contents. Chapter 1. What does a construction engineer do? Chapter 2. Education needed. Chapter 3. Special abilities or traits needed. Chapter 4. A typical workday of a construction engineer. Chapter 5. Rewards and opportunities. Oh, this, is, this is pretty deep. <sighs> because my father was a construction engineer. Chapter 1. What does a construction engineer do? A construction engineer plans, structures, and directs the workmen who build them. Detailed plans help him select the right materials and equipment. A construction engineer also has to bid for jobs and he should have a warehouse to keep his equipment in. Chapter 2. Education Needed The education needed to be a construction engineer is to have an engineering degree, usually in civil engineering or construction management. Most state universities offer these courses, as do many private universities. Chapter three Special abilities or traits needed. Construction engineers should be able to work with others and direct them. Like <laughs> he, uh, th and then a hyphen, the next line em. See, the rules of hyphenation are kind of, uh, it has to be sil- syllable based, right? I think. That's an interesting hyphenation, though th hyphen, next line em. They also should be able to work neat on their drawings. They should be able to handle many problems at a time. Chapter 4, a typical workday of a construction engineer. A construction engineer's workday usually starts early because he has to get things set up for his workmen, and he has to make sure that his jobs are doing well. In the afternoon, he goes and bids on jobs. Sometimes he orders equipment. If a bid is due the next day, he may work late in his office. Chapter 5, Rewards and Opportunities. A construction engineer usually gets about $15,000 when he gets out of college. After about 10 years, he gets $30,000, and if he works very hard, he'll get $50,000. A president of a company can get $300,000. And anyway, that was in 1980, so that was a lot of money back then. Bibliography. All information is from Frank R. Nora, who is a construction engineer. There you go. That's a good one. Here we go, John Nora's Many Adventures. Let's check this one out. Written by John Nora, illustrated by Glenn Johnson. Who's that? That's wild. One day, while John Nora was playing with his plastic animals, his mom called him for dinner, which was fried chicken. After dinner, John had vanilla cupcakes for dessert. Then he watched Star Trek. While John was watching Star Trek, his brother Frankie wanted to play space hop with him. John said, Sure. And look, there's—is that me <laughs> with the Space Hop? <laughs> All right, I gotta take a—I gotta take a picture of this page. I think that's me with the box. Space Hop was a cool—a uh, cool board game. I must have got got it like, like a museum shop or something. But that was a cool game. Space Hop. Yeah, your, your pieces were like little wooden rocket ships, and you had to go to each different planet in the solar system. Let's see how how does the game go. Oh, the next day, John and his family packed up their car and left for Mount Rushmore. Yes, we did actually go to Mount Rushmore on our way to Montana once. When they got there, John was amazed by what it looked like, even though he had seen it before. Then they went to their hotel. Hmm, maybe we went went there twice? Oh, yeah, that's near Wall Drug, the giant drugstore in South Dakota, which I did find a map for also in the uh, storage area above the garage. And interestingly, I, I I just watched that uh, the American Experience, American Oz about El um, Frank Baum, and he spent some time in a town called uh, Aberdeen, South Dakota, more South Dakota stuff. Bit synchronistic. All of a sudden, it started to snow. So John and his father went skiing at the nearest ski slope, and he fell only six times. Sorry, I don't think I don't think we ever skied in around there. This is a very fanciful tale. When John went home to Spring Run Lane, his cats. Kathy and Tiffy. See, I remember, I remember reading this once. It's Taffy and Tiffy, not Kathy. So someone got this wrong. I don't know if it was this other kid wrote this. There's another book that someone else wrote about my sister. I, I took pictures of that. It's up in the storage area, though. Kathy and Tiffy jumped all over him, so he played with them for a while. No, I guess that was John playing with Space Hop, too. The next day was March 18th, John's birthday, On his candles, John wished he had a lot of money. The next day, John got a check for $100, just as he wished, so John bought many new toys and games. Then while John was helping his father and his brother Frankie clean out their car, he saw something under the back seat, so he went to get it. John saw that it was a brown paper bag, and he reached under and got it. In the bag was his old tiger bank that he lost. Wow. Over Christmas vacation, John and his family went to Disney World. He flew in a 747 plane. John liked the plane ride. John went to the haunted house first. Well, he wasn't scared, but Julie was. After he went on all the rides, John was exhausted. A pretty good representation of the, the, uh, the ride vehicle for Haunted Mansion. The next morning, his family almost couldn't get John off the monorail, but they did. They went home in two weeks. John didn't want to go, but he did leave happy. The end. So wait, is that written by this other kid, or how does that work? No, it was written by John, oh, written by John Horn, illustrated by Glenn Johnson. So this was, so that was their assignment to write a story about someone else. I, I, I'm so sorry. It was John Horn and Glenn Johnson. And there's one for my sister, too, which we'll get to. Anyway, here's another book by John Nord, Claw Goes to Venus. That's why they got the name of uh, Taffy wrong. Kathy. Your cat Kathy. Now it's Taffy, damn it. Claw goes to Venus. 1981, Valley School, Martinsville, New Jersey. Chapter 1. Claw's wish. One night at the space center, a cat named Claw sneaked in and waited for the morning so he could see the takeoff of the spaceship that was going to Mars. Claw's favorite interest was astronomy. Since he was a kitten, Claw is very smart. Claw is a very good fix-it cat, and he lives near a junkyard. He already made a telescope, and he loves looking in it at night. Claw's dream was to go to Venus, or any planet, and explore it. It was just about morning, and Claw could see all the lights at the base light up. It was the big day, and it was going to be broadcasted on all the television stations, and Claw wouldn't miss it for a million dollars. Claw was sitting in a garbage can by a Hangar and had a great view of the exciting event about to take place. That's a great illustration of the cat in the garbage can. (laughs) Looking at I gotta take a picture of that. We're gonna keep these books, obviously. I just wanna, I think my brother and my sister should have them because it's theirs, right? The sun was out now, and the astronauts were being escorted to the ship. Soon the ship took off, and it was a fantastic sight to see. Chapter two Claw's homemade spaceship. As Claw was walking home from the space center, he thought about building his own ship. He could probably do it. He could go to the space center's junkyard and get some airtight materials. Kind of sounds like that short-lived TV show Salvage One starring uh, Andy Griffith. Remember that show? Guy in a junkyard making his own spaceship. I don't know if this was inspired by that. I don't know. Uh, He could go to the space center's junkyard and get some airtight materials. But there would be one problem. An engine. Well, he would build the frame of the ship and worry about the engine later. He got home and told his mother that he was going to make a spaceship and go to Venus. His mother laughed, but deep down in her heart, she knew he could do it. The next day, he went to the space center's junkyard and found lots of nice excess airtight material. He also found some computers that he could put back in working order. He was the best cat mechanic. He went back home and made a frame and then started putting on the special metals that he found at the junkyard. He also had to put titanium on the ship. The final product looked like a stubby bullet. Feline one. (laughs) So it does look a little bit like salvage one. Mm -hmm. Chapter 3, The Great Engine Robbery. Claw knew he had to get an engine, and the only way he could get it was to steal it from the space center. He didn't want to do it, but it was the only alternative. That night he went to the space center. He had a secret way of getting in. He would go through a vent, and it comes out in a hangar. From there, he could get to the engine. He made it through the vent and into the hangar. From the hangar, he saw the engine he would need. But then he almost fainted. How was he going to transport it back home, But back to his home? After all, he was only a cat. Claw knew an eagle, but not very well. But well enough. Claw left the space center and headed for the forest. He finally got to the eagle's nest. The eagle's name was Willard. <laughs> That's awesome, Willard the Eagle. Claw asked Willard if he could swoop down and lift up the engine with his talons and drop it off at his home Willard said he would do it but he would have to have some reward and Claw would think of something in about five minutes Claw was back at the space center and Willard was in sight Claw pushed the engine out of the hangar and in a wink of an eye Willard had the engine grasped in his talons and was flying toward Claw's house when Claw got home, the engine was in a small field. For Willard's reward, supper cooked by Claw's mother. Willard wasn't too happy about it, but it was good. Claw had put some spacesuit materials on the engine so he could make a spacesuit. There's a cool illustration of Willard the Eagle <laughs> carrying the uh, engine. It's so cool. Willard the Eagle. That'd be a good uh, show title, right? Willard the Eagle. Let me write that down. Chapter 4: Takeoff. The next morning Claw had an engine The next morning Claw had an engine installed. He was ready for takeoff. When nobody was around, he moved his ship to the to the forest. He named his ship the Feline 1. He got his spacesuit on and got in and threw the ignition switch. The engine's roared and he was off the ground and gaining speed. Soon He was out of the atmosphere. In about six months, he got to Venus. The landing process went okay. He checked the fuel, and he had enough to get back to Earth. Claw was the first cat ever to reach Venus. The end. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then then there's a little illustration of of Claw on Venus. (laughs) That's awesome. All right, let's see what our next one is here. Big something? Big Cats by John Nora. Oh, yeah, this one, the pages are kind of stuck. This stuff is pretty old, right? Yeah. There are five kinds of big cats. The biggest cat is the tiger. Big cats are found in Asia, Africa, South America, and Central America, and some other places. The lion is a well-known cat. It lives in Africa. The tiger is the largest big cat. The Siberian tiger gets to be 12 feet long, from the tip of nose to tip of tail. The tiger likes to swim. The leopard is a good tree climber. It stores its food up in a tree, so no other animal can steal it to eat. The jaguar is almost just like the leopard, but it's bigger and the spot pattern is different. The cheetah is the fastest cat and the fastest land animal. It can run as fast as 80 miles an hour all cats defend themselves with teeth and claws wild dogs hunt in packs but the big cat hunts alone and is swift and deadly to its prey all big cats eat meat meat when a lion cub is born it takes about six days to open its eyes a leopard cub takes longer about ten days or a little bit more a tiger cub takes two weeks takes two weeks big cats have about one to three cubs Big cats aren't always vicious. Some of them are kept as pets and won't attack its owner. Some big cats are getting rare, and if man doesn't stop hunting them, they will be extinct. Bibliography. Morris, Desmond, The Big Cats, New York. McGraw-Hill Book Company, 1965. All right. that's I think that's it for John's books, and now let's see Julie's books. Taffy's Life by Julie Nora. That's the same cat Taffy we're talking about. Taffy's Life by Julie Nora, 4th grade, June 1st, 1982 Dedicated to my beautiful fat cat Taffy Because if I never got her, I would never have this story She's drawing pictures of Taffy too (laughs) Taffy's Life Hi, my name is Taffy I'm a cat, a beautiful cat I'm going to tell you about myself I live with the Noras in Martinsville, New Jersey My favorite food is tender vittles My favorite TV shows are soap operas I am a green-eyed, blonde, and pleasingly plump. Because I am such a wonderful mother, I'm going to tell you first about having my kittens. It was 1979. I was two years old at that time. I was married to a cat that belonged to a family that moved away. That cat was impossible anyway. I had four girls and one boy. Their names were Tico, Fluffy, Willow, and Badger. Oh, sorry. Their names were Tico, Fluffy, Willow, and Badger 1 and 2. Badger 1 and Badger 2 were twins. So I think Tico... I think we kept most of these cats. I know we kept Willow, Tico, Fluffy... I don't know. Maybe the Badgers. We, we had... Someone else adopted them. I'm not sure. The Norris decided to... Oh, here, well, here's the information. The Norris decided to keep Willow. At night, sometimes all day, I, I sleep on the stairs. I just found out sleeping on the bathroom sink is comfortable, too. Ginger, another Nora cat, and I used to fight all the time. But We're older and wiser. I think it's better not fighting. My daughter, Willow, sleeps on the refrigerator. I suppose Ginger and I used to fight because she was jealous of my beauty. She fought with Willow, too. She still does. Personally, Ginger and I still argue a little. She is impossible. I can't believe the Noras took her in. After all, she was just a stray. It's true. I really should be in a movie, but there aren't many parts for cats. Only people. My favorite actors are Lassie and Morris the Cat. I al- I like Rin Tin Tin also. I also... Sorry. I love the way Morris is so finicky. Lassie and Rin Tin Tin are so clever and smart. I always try hard to be finicky too. I'm already crafty and smart. Well... I'm the only one who eats neat. I should eat at the dinner table. I am a brave cat. I am afraid of nothing. But I don't look that way. I'm always so feminine, people always praising me about it. But there's only one reason they say that. Because it's true. My favorite color is pink. I think someday I will be famous. Because of my beauty, wisdom, and wonderfulness. Sometimes I amaze myself. I need it bad. Soon, I'm going to pack up my bikinis and go to Florida. It's getting humiliating with Ginger. She knows she's nosy and rude and everything crude. On the other hand, I'm sugar and spice and everything nice. I'll never be anything else except lovely, smart, wonderful, and everything else that is fantastic, I think. I think I will go to Florida in a month. I think now I should tell you about my friends. My very best friend is Tiffy. She is 15 years old. She is so nice too. She is black and has no tail. It was ran over by a car. This is all true by the way. My other friends are Simon and Sherlock. They're gerbils. Yeah, I remember I remember those are my gerbils actually. They are both plump. There are also some nice stray cats, but I like Tiffy best. Listen to this. These are my favorite soap operas. I'll turn on the TV. Shh. Nurse Kitty, get Dr. Claw. Why? Because the patient with rabies is going to have his operation now. Hurry! I'll turn the TV off. Isn't it great? I love soap operas, especially Days of Our Cats and Kitty's Hope. Kitty's Hope is about a nurse in the hospital. I'm going to go on Kitty's Hope and be Nurse Fluffy because I'm so gorgeous. Maybe I'll get a better part like Nurse Meow or maybe Crystal or maybe dot dot dot. The only way to get to get my fur brushed is to get petted by someone in the family. So this afternoon, I'll jump on s- somebody's lap. It always works. Writing this story is getting boring, so I won't worry about it anymore. <laughs> and there's uh, Taffy sitting at a desk. Wow, that was actually that was a very cool story, very meandering and awesome. Wow, that was a good one. Here's a book called A Horse is Needed written and illustrated by julie nora one a horse is needed it was a sunny day i went out to get the mail i found a letter addressed to me there was no return address i quickly walked back to my house i went into the kitchen and plopped the rest of the mail on the table and took the letter to my room it said dear marlene wilson we observed riders at tryouts at english Riding farm on january 4th 1983 we have chosen four people to invite to be a rider at the. Hmm. Read. Oh, here's an illustration of Julie reading the letter. At the United States Equestrian Team, you are one of the competitors we have chosen. For further information, please report to the US headquarters. No, sorry, US headquarters as soon as possible. Thank you very much. Signed, Mrs. Carol Cannon. I ran downstairs to tell my parents. The next day, I went to the USET headquarters, which is fairly nearby. My mother and I went to Mrs. Cannon's office. After talking to Mrs. Cannon about the days I was needed there, she said, you must own a horse. Then I said, a month after tryouts, my horse died of old age. Oh, said Carol, that will be a problem. So, two days later, my parents and I went to look for a horse. I saw an excellent black thoroughbred, but it was too expensive. I came across a perfect horse, but it was too old. I had given up for that day. The next day, my parents uh, went out again. We found Another perfect horse, but it was a stallion, and I was underage. You have to be 18 to ride a stallion, and I'm only 15. The man there told us it was not a stallion, but I knew it was. So my dad yelled at the man, and we left. We were looking for a horse for a couple of days, and it couldn't fi- but couldn't find one. Later, we saw a sign that said, Horse for Sale. So we went to have a look. The man there said, He ain't worth much. He's kind of nasty, but we bought him anyway. Actually, he was a beautiful horse. He was a pinto. He was well-trained, too. I could make him jump in the air when I made a special whistle sound. When we got home, I rode him around. He wasn't nasty at all. He was nice. He was seven years old. I named him Royal Crown. So I entered the USET and and went three days every week. I was a little young to be a rider, so mainly I just worked there. I think so. I think some of this is based on reality. I know she was involved with horseback riding, but we did not have horses here or anything. There would be no place to have them here. So it's sort of, and and she used a different name at the beginning. So it's sort of based on reality. But the new Pinto. Here's the illustration. When I was sixteen, even though. I was still too young to be on the team. I was in a horse show and won fourth place. Julie Nora, April 11th, 1983, The End. Okay. So that was maybe her telling about her own experiences, yeah. Sometimes these stories end very suddenly. I guess because you run out of pages. These books only have a certain number of pages. Here we go. Count Dracula by Julie Nora. Let's see about this one. Dedicated to my mom and dad and my pets for Christmas 1979. I love you all very much. Once there was a man hitchhiking. His name was Mr. Chack. He was very tired. In fact, he was so tired that he got lost. There was an old scary house at the other side of the road. He crossed the street and knocked on the door. The door opened, but nobody was there. Mr. Chack went in. Hello, said a voice. Mr. Chack was very scared. Then the voice said, Welcome to the Haunted Mansion. Then a man came out of a room with a lot of coffins. Well, what do we have here, a visitor? I have not had a visitor for twelve thousand years now. Isn't it pleasant here? No, said Mr. Chack. Then Mr. Chack hit his finger on a brick in the wall. Mr. Chack was afraid that the person in the mansion might be Count Dracula, and he might be after the blood on Mr. Chack's hand. (laughs) <laughs> Here's an illustration. I want, I want. the blood. Every midnight, the man which turned into Dracula. Oh, every midnight, the man which, yeah, the man which turned into Dracula. He always got very strong at midnight. It was midnight now, and Dracula got very strong. Then Dracula threw a big rock at Mister. Chack. The rock missed Mister. Chack, and he said, "Ha ha, you missed me." Then Dracula started to cry, and Mister. Chack quickly left the mansion. Mr. Chack found his way home. He was very careful not to go hitchhiking again. The end. That's a good one. I like that one. And a few more here. How I Learned to Ride My Bike by Julie Nora. To Mom with Love, Happy Mother's Day. Do kids still make these books and stuff, like bound like this? It's pretty cool. I know. The education we got in the 70s and 80s was probably much higher quality in public school than they have today. But. On Sunday, my daddy, my brothers, and I went to the valley school (laughs) went to the valley school playground we were going to teach me how to ride my bike my daddy gave me a push and I started pedaling the next time my brother pushed me and he told me how to start the bike and I did it all by myself I like to ride my bike but I still have to practice Monday I went out on my bike again I was riding in my driveway I fell a lot but then I rode the bike better Going to ride my bike after school. I like to ride my bike. The bicycle was a birthday present from my grandparents. It's a good one. Here we go. Another book here by Julie. Little Red Riding Wolf by Julie Nora. Dedicated to my mom for Mother's Day, 1980. I love you very much. Once there was a little wolf. One day she was going to her grandmother's house because she was sick. Her name was Little Red Riding Wolf. On the way there she met a girl. The little girl said, Hello, my name is Sue. I want that little wolf for a pet. And there's Sue. I want, I want her for a pet. She said to herself, What is your name? My name is Little Red Riding Wolf. I am going to my grandmother's house because she is sick. Where does she live? said the little girl. She lives at the other side of the woods. The wolf went off to see her grandmother. Then the little girl dressed up like a grandma wolf and went to see if grandma wolf was home. Little Red Riding Wolf's grandmother did not know that she was coming. The little girl knocked, but no one was home. Grandma was at the doctor's office. Well, there's a doctor wolf seeing the grandma wolf. Was at the doctor's office. The little girl got in grandma's bed and waited for the wolf. Then there was a knock at the door. Come in, Little Red Riding Wolf, said the little girl, and she did. Then the little girl tried to catch the wolf, but the wolf ran out of the house and so did the little girl. Then the little girl's father came and said, It's supper time. The little girl said, Can I have that wolf for a pet? No, and besides, it's, it's running away, said her dad. So Little Red Riding Wolf lived happily ever after. <laughs> wow, the writing gets very small towards the bottom of the page because she ran out of room. There's the father saying, Supper time. These are some good books, right? This is some good stuff. I, I, I like this. Fun at Lisa's House by Julie Nora. I walked to Lisa's house. We played house, dress up, and school. We had iced tea. Soon it was time to go home. I had supper. I watched some TV. Then I went to bed. The light was out. Good night. The end. Good one. Short and sweet, as they say. Mud Fun by Julie Nora. Let's see what we got here. Once upon a time, there was a little girl... And she loved to play in mud. She liked to make mud pies and mud soup. The girl's name was Peggy, but Peggy was not happy. She was tired of mud pies and soup. She said, I want to do something different. Peggy started to think. Suddenly, Lori came over. Do you want to play with your dolls? No, I want you to help me make something new with mud. Haha, ha, I know what to make, said Lori. What is it, Peggy said. It is mud tea. Great, said Peggy. <coughs> Do you want to make it? Yes, said Lori. So glop, 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 the girls had fun playing together and making mud tea. Another another good one. And here's our final, final book. Well, there's going to be one more after this, the one written about Julie. But... Okay, here we go. Discoveries by Julie E. Nora, grade 3, 1981. Wow, this is a a big one. Table of Contents, chapter, title, and pages. The Milky Way, the planets, the moon, the Earth's movements, the sun, meteors, comets, asteroids, stars and constellations, super-duper-duper-pepto, bibliography, what? (laughs) Chapter 1, The Milky Way. Milky Way. The Milky Way has about 100 trillion stars or more. The Milky Way is made up of stars and planets. By a telescope the Milky Way looks like a stringy cloud. The position of the Milky Way is like a white band across the sky. Chapter 2. The Planets. Mercury. Mercury is 36 million miles away from the Sun. Mercury has no moons. It is the closest planet to the Sun. It is the smallest planet. Mars is the fourth planet from the sun. Mars is covered with dirt and rocks. There is a possibility there is life on Mars. Neptune is the eighth planet from the sun. Neptune is two, uh, 2,793 million miles away from the sun. Is that right? I don't know. Wouldn't that be like 2 billion? Neptune has two moons, Triton and Nereid. Saturn is the sixth planet from the Sun. It is the second largest planet. It has a large ring. It is 886 million miles from the Sun. Saturn has 10 moons. Uranus is the seventh planet from the Sun. It is 782 million miles away from the Sun. It has five moons. A year on Uranus is as long as 84 Earth years. Chapter 3, the Moon. The Moon is a satellite of the Earth. It spins around the Earth. The moon is the first satellite man ever knew of. The moon is our closest neighbor. We can see the moon at night because the sun lights it up. Uh, You can also see it during the day quite often. But no one ever talks about seeing the moon during the day for some reason. I do. That's a whole other issue. Chapter 4, The Earth's Movements. The earth revolves and rotates. The earth revolves and rotates. Rotation is spinning on its axis and revolving is going around the sun. It takes 24 hours for the earth to spin around once. And it takes a year for the Earth to go around the Sun. Chapter 5, the Sun. You must never stare at the Sun too long or too much because it can hurt your eyes. The Sun gives off light and heat. The Earth stays in its orbit because both the Sun and the planets pull. And they have the same strength. The Sun what? <laughs> The Sun is made up of hot gases. The, the Sun is our most important star. The Sun is not our biggest Is not our biggest star. It is a medium-sized star. Chapter 6, Meteors, Comets, Asteroids. Meteors and Meteorites. Meteors are chunks of rock in outer space. If you ever saw a meteor in the sky, it would only last a second. Meteors look like streaks in the sky. Some people call meteors shooting stars. When a meteor hits the Earth, it's called meteorite. Comets are objects that orbit the sun. Halley's Comet is very famous. It comes to Earth every 76 years. We will see it again in 1986. Uh, yeah, sorry, Julie. That was a big bust. No one saw frickin' Halley's Comet in 86. It was a big disappointment. Anyway, Bennett's Comet takes a thousand years to come back to Earth. A comet is like a pile of gravel. It has a head and a tail. Asteroids. In, 19, in 1801, tiny bodies were discovered in the middle of Mars and Jupiter. There were asteroids. The biggest one was 480 miles. Some people think they are made of blown up planets. I know that was the that's what everyone thinks. A planet just exploded one day and it became the asteroid's field. Chapter 7: Stars and Constellations. Stars and planets. The main difference between stars and planets is that a light, a star gives off its own light and a planet reflects light from the sun. The sun is out. The sun is our main star, but it's not the biggest. Constellations are mainly pictures in the sky made out of stars. But how could stars make pictures? Long ago, people thought the stars made shapes in the form of animals and people. The ancient Greeks gave them names. One such constellation is called Leo the Lion. Another is called Scorpius the Scorpion. Chapter 8, My Story Super-duper-dupper-pepto I decided to see Professor Arnold Snodgrass. He was mixing some junk together that came out to be a mess. He said it was super-duper-duper-pepto, and it would start up a rocket. And there's Julie uh, thinking he's weird, and there's Dr. Snodgrass. He asked me if I would like to go to Mars. I said, well, and before I could say no, he said, you're a brave girl, Julie. Good luck. He stuffed me into the rocket, and up I went. I was very nervous, so I sang Off we go, into the wild blue yonder. Then I landed on Mars, and I got out of my rocket. Then I saw Pam coming up in a rocket, too. The Professor Arnold Snodgrass must have sent her up, too. I greeted her. Then we heard a shuffle. We looked over, and there was a little green man with a black hooded cape on. He said, Oogie Boogie. Pam asked me what he said, and I said, I don't know. We walked for miles, and then we came to a little town with tiny huts. We went in one, and the little green man was there. We looked out the window, and our rockets were ready to fly away. When I got in, I said goodbye and zoomed away. Then a robot came out of a closet door and said, You were in the Twilight Zone, and who else but Woody Allen popped out of the robot. (laughs) What? It's off. I think I should talk. My robot is that. That's Woody Allen. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> he was in a robot costume. Wow. <laughs> Let me read that ending again. Here, when I got in, I said goodbye and zoomed away. Then a robot came out of a closet door and said, "You were in the Twilight Zone." And who else but Woody Allen popped out of the robot? His. Is something off. I think I should talk. I think I should take my robot. I can't read that. HTS off. I think I should talk. I, should, I think I should take my robot. P.A.? <laughs> anyway. Bibliography. Branley, Franklin. The Big Dipper. New York, Crowell, 1962. Freeman, May. The Sun, the Moon, and the Stars. New York, Random House, 1955. Lion, Jane, Astronomy, Racine, Golden Press, 1974. Moshe Dinah, Dien, Dien, Star Wars, Questions and Answers, New York, Random House, 1979. Tellender Marion, Space, New York, Follett Publishing Company, 1960. Zim, Herbert, Stars, New York, Golden Press, 1956. Wow. Things, I mean, I, I, things, uh, wow, changed quickly there with Woody Allen appearing at the end. That's amazing. Anyway, let me find the pictures I took of the other book, and then that will be our final book today. I, wa- I wanted to get this stuff done before I did the hard work of the house here. Let's see if I can find that. I've been taking an awful lot of pictures. Wait. No. Hold on a second. All right. Here's our final one here. It's, it's in the same style. A book. A book. The book about Julie. Materials made by Mrs. Warmbier and Mrs. Mrs. Maxwell. I remember that name, Mrs. Warmbier. This is by Aaron Hollerin. Okay. One day on October 1, 1972, Julie Elizabeth Nora was born to Mr. Frank Nora and Mrs. Dale Nora. She now lives with her two brothers, Frankie and John, spelled F R A N K Y. No, I always spelled it with I E. These these kids can't get the names right in these stories. And her grandmother, Evelyn Nora. So, that's also incorrect. Her name was Evelyn Sappenfield. And she did live with us live with us for a time. One of her best things she has is her two tabby cats, Taffy and Willow. I, I don't really remember that Willow was the daughter, but at least she got the name Taffy right. And her house cat, Tiffy. Julie goes to Florida on her vacation and goes to see Disney World while she is there. One night, while listening to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Woody Woodpecker walked in Julie's room. He was holding a cake with six candles on it. Her birthday was in two weeks. The cake had pink flowers on it and Easter jelly beans. When her birthday came, Tim Conway, Carol Burnett, and Lisa Badger were there. Lisa Badger gave Julie a Madame Alexander doll. Tim Conway gave her a game called Silly Sandwich, and Carol Burnett gave her a flute. <laughs> That's weird because I, I did have a, a dream about um, Tim Conway recently, where where I was having like a gunfight. I was he was like, my enemy, and, I, and we were trying to shoot each other. Did I? I don't know if I talked about that yet on the show. Anyway, we'll we'll figure that. I think no, I, I no, I did, I did. I, on, that was on the last episode. Okay. Seven days later, Julie and her family went to Howard Johnson's. Julie had a chocolate chip crumb cake. After dinner, everybody went to the theater. They saw Cinderella and the Three Balls. One of Julie's favorite things is that she can do well as read, so Julie reads a lot. Julie went to an Olympic competition place where Julie won a pack of Tootsie Rolls. She took a ball and a stick and put the ball in the hole and won the prize. One of Julie's favorite wishes is that she would get a new kitten. Julie would feed the kitten. She would let her sleep anywhere she wants to. She loves her cats. Julie is now in first grade and in Mrs. Moorcraft's class, and she is doing very well. Julie now has 14 Madame Alexander dolls, and she watches Woody Woodpecker, and Howard Johnson's is still her favorite restaurant. And the illustration said, Howard Johnson's, the family restaurant, welcome, dining room upstairs. Hmm. I don't quite remember if there was a Howard Johnson's like that. The end. Good stuff, right? Anyways, I just want to read you these books and uh <laughs> There's so much stuff. I mean I I mean I'm finding so much information. We are the stewards of this material at this point. You know, and of course it's just a lot of You know, bringing up a lot of memories about my parents and our whole life here and everything else. Something you got to deal with over the course of time. Ah, Good morning. It's a few days later now. It's it's actually Wednesday now. I think the last time I spoke to you it was uh, Sunday. Early morning now, about 6.45 a.m. It's been an intense few days uh, as you as I told you I think uh, earlier in this recording I was there at the house uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday all three days trying to get it done to search through everything right I mean because it's a it's kind of a nerve-wracking process the idea that right. We need to empty out that house to sell it and there's just far too much stuff it's like so it's just so much stuff so yeah my strap my personal strategy has been to go through every closet every drawer every cabinet everything and go through every item and remove or take away, separate out those things that I don't think should be, uh, in the estate sale or in the dumpster, right? You know, like, uh, personal papers, photographs, uh, and those few items of import or, or sentimental value. So even, uh, I, I, I mean, uh, yeah, Friday I was there sort of like a half day, four or five hours. And Saturday was, uh, my wife Denise and I were there for nine or ten hours. <laughs> Sunday I was there for like another eight hours. Uh, and uh, I I was sort of disappointed that by the end of the day Sunday, though I made huge progress, I still was not done. So I went there yesterday. And, uh, continued with the basement, which was the final frontier, and it was wild. I mean, it was like, uh, every room is just jam-packed with stuff, more than I could have possibly imagined, and there's good and important stuff mixed in with all the junk, sometimes in the same box. So it was an utterly intense, uh, process, but, uh... Yesterday, I finished my uh, sweep, my search of the house. Now, there was one thing that I really wanted to find, other than my Special Olympics medals, of course, which I've talked about this. My mother did say she threw them away out of, uh, out of embarrassment. but uh, And I've told this story so many times. You know, just in a nutshell, uh, due to a clerical error, I actually competed in the Special Olympics. And won every event I was in, I was no athlete, but I couldn't lose um, but I had these gold medals and uh those I did not find and my mother did say she threw them away i i I sort of had this fleeting hope that they were they would show up somewhere, but they did not uh those those would have been amazing uh yeah, I mean what happened was you know when I was a kid i was uh a bit unruly. A bit. I, I had behave, you know, I was sort of like a, a problem child. So they didn't know what to do with me. They put, wound up putting me in this special class. Uh, so I had to go on the short bus, you know, the little bus, and it was really quite embarrassing. Um, they called the class Emotionally Disturbed Class. I, I don't think they have anything like that today, but uh, I think it was just sort of a catch-all for kids that had uh, behavior issues. And I and I don't know if that was all of it, but I, I I do think that the tedium of of school just I I just could not handle the the, the tedium of it all. I don't think if I as I re- perhaps barely recall I was just bored out of my mind in school. And uh, <coughs> I mean, this was more like fourth grade through. Seventh grade, that, just a few years. But, uh, yeah, they were were supposed to have this, uh, kind of like an associated uh, uh, um, competition called Tournament of Champions, which, uh, you know, the Special Olympics, the kids really are, they were like mentally retarded as the word was used back then, Down syndrome, what have you. The Tournament of Champions was meant to, and I don't really know the history of it or how it happened, it was meant to be open towards kids that were a bit marginalized, but not having that uh, that uh, specific condition. So that is what they were going to enroll us in from our class. But due to a clerical error, <laughs> at least I was enrolled in the actual Special Olympics. and Again, I, I couldn't lose i i mean i was doing track and field events you know 100 yard dashes long jumps whatever and at the th- i i do have memories of it and uh yeah i just won every event <laughs> and i knew i had an unfair advantage uh you know but i at the time i sort of thought it was funny i think that you know and also, um, you know, those kids that had that condition, I, I i was on that bus with them. So I really knew them perhaps more than other kids knew them. And I felt kind of a kinship towards them anyway. So anyway, uh, we, I had some medals, actual physical gold medals. I was an Olympic gold medalist. And uh, my mother was uh, not very happy with the whole situation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think she just threw them out. So they did not find them. Anyway, listen, that's all right. I still have my memories of the Olympics. Uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to find was my uh, my grandmother, Evelyn Saffenfield. My mother's mother uh, had an 8 millimeter movie camera and took a ton of movies. And um, I last remember seeing them in this kind of crawl space on, on the upstairs. And uh, it's the one thing I wanted to find was these movies. And I know we watched them in the '80s on the projector, and my mother was a little embarrassed at some of the movies of her when she was younger, and uh, and that's a lot I I didn't know anything about it. So that's the top thing I wanted to find. So you know, I I kind of started at the top level of the house. I went in that crawl space, and uh, I actually found the projector, but no movies. I'm like, oh gosh. Then I did the main floor and, uh, nothing, but I did find, uh, my grandmother's camera, her movie camera. It's a Bell and Howell, eight millimeter movie camera. You know, this actual film, not, not, I know there's been various eight millimeter video formats. Now this is the film home movies, uh, probably starting, it seemed like it was from the fifties, this camera, fifties or sixties. And, uh, I'm like, oh, God, I found the camera and the projector, but not the movies. Oh, did she throw them out? Which is kind of hard to believe, considering everything else, that she, she kept pretty much everything. That's what made going through every closet, every room uh, so uh, dense and so crazy. <laughs> then, in the back of a, a desk, I found one of my grandmother's movies. You know, they're little reels. It's about, I don't know, three 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 and a half inches across, maybe, square that's kind of the same size I had. I had Super Eight, you know. By the time I was making movies, I had Super Eight, and and each reel would be about three three and a half minutes, and it was of my parents' wedding. It's it wrote it was writing on there. I I didn't attempt <coughs> to uh, get the projector working, as I <coughs> I don't think that I didn't even try it. Um, anyway, I'm like, oh, so did she throw it all out and just kept the one? The one uh, movie of her, of her wedding. Oh, God, no. It's the one thing I wanted to find. Anyway. Then we get to the basement. The basement was tough. So there's basically, a, um, in the basement, there's there's two rooms that are pretty much a finished basement. Then there's a boiler room. And... Uh, another weird crawl space but that that's sort of full of uh wood it, like wood for the fireplace that's been there for decades and then there's a back room which is a, like a laundry room that's not finished that's actually pretty big as well so this was the final frontier i had checked everything else i'm pretty I'm sure i think i was pretty thorough with everything so uh the back room that was finished Uh, That was so jam-packed. I mean, it took me almost all day Sunday going through that uh, space. And it was just, you know, there were things that were water damaged. Like, I'd find a box of books and start going through them. And then the the bottom books were just completely, like, brown and fused because there had been floods in the basement. And the bottom of the box just completely, like, fell apart. And I'm like, oh, God. It was so, horrible. just the amount of books, of VHS tapes, of every category of thing you can imagine. I I mean, uh, they, my parents kept everything, and they had so much stuff, but they were, they, they lived there for uh, uh, about 50 years, right? Yeah, about 50 years they lived in that house, and uh, it's just all the stuff that accumulated over the course of 50 years. It was even wild going through the kitchen, all of those cabinets, some of the cabinets, like you open it up. And then it like extends back much further than you thought. I found stuff I hadn't seen since the since the seventies. You know, thermoses, cookie jars, uh, everything was in there. Unbelievable. Um, so that back room, uh, I went through, and uh, you know, always find, always, always in the midst of all the junk, I finding some good stuff. Drawings from childhood, or photographs, especially uh, everything. So I finally finished that room, and that was a huge accomplishment. Then the main room, there's like a pool table, and my brother had sort of... My brother John had uh, lived at the house after college, and he like sort of left all his stuff there. So he was really struggling to go through his stuff. I actually, over the years, um, took whatever stuff I had at my parents' house and, and kind of took it to my own storage unit. I was trying to sort it out. I have been trying to deal with my stuff over the years to some degree of success. I did, I have had many purges and gotten rid of stuff, probably more than my brother and sister or my parents, though I still have a lot of stuff. I've, I've actually, I think, addressed my stuff more than them, so I don't have quite as much anymore, though I still have quite a lot of stuff. My garage is kind of full of my stuff, but it's not as bad, you know. I mean, like, my in my various, uh, whatever, purgings of stuff, I got rid of uh, as much of as I could, you know, and then it gets to the, like, personal notebooks and whatever, and that, that that's kind of hard to get rid of. Anyway, um, so then I started with that back room, the laundry room, and this was just boxes and boxes of stuff. Again, all, some of it water damage. I mean, when I talk about boxes, I mean piles of bo- of boxes from floor to ceiling and then just stuff thrown in plastic bags and the plastic bags are sort of tied shut thrown on top of everything and it and i started it on sunday and it was like insane so yesterday i tackled that back room i gotta say it was so it was the hardest one i think it was just wild i can't i mean the amount of stuff and, and pretty much everything from my childhood, even just like stuff that used to be on display, like little figurines, whatever. I mean, it was like, you know, that's another factor of it. it's just the emotional factor. The stuff from your past, you know. So, in the middle of it all, way in the back, and I had to sort of like clear things away to get to each area, there was this bag. <laughs> and I looked inside of it. And there were these boxes, and, 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 and it said uh, so-and-so, so-and-so video uh, transfer service. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I looked inside one of the boxes. It was the movies. All of my grandmother's 8mm movies were there. And not only were they there, they were neatly stored in these three boxes that, uh, three or four boxes that, were, uh, that had this so-and-so's video transfer service. And I'm like, wait a minute, was this, were these transfers? So I found them. Oh, my God, I was so happy I found those movies. Now, of course, I couldn't see them immediately. So I'm like, wait a minute, where are the videos? Video transfer, DVDs, or perhaps, depending on the time period, VHS? Uh, So in the main room there, there's this bizarre chest of drawers that has like 30 or 40 drawers in it, these little tiny drawers. I don't even know what the heck, kind of a, it must have been for some kind of profession or something. So I looked through every one of these drawers and at the very bottom there's three VHS tapes that say Mother's Movies 1 of 3, 2 of 3 and 3 of 3. I'm like my god, I found it. My mother had them transferred but never uh shared them with us. They ne- she never gave us copies of these tapes. And it was a long time ago, back when you would have gotten a video's transferred and got them on a VHS tape. So I have it all now. I have it and I'm going to I don't think I'll have time before my trip, but you know, I will transfer the those uh, videos to digital. And I mean, I I since it's all neatly stored, I suppose depending on the quality, I could get it retransferred on onto a, a more of a digital format from the film itself, which it probably would be, uh, be better quality. But you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so I'm not completely done, but. Uh, Though I have completed the search, um, I still have uh, some stuff to go through, decide uh, what to take, and uh, but that's going to be somewhat more controlled process, and I, I think I'll get that done on Friday. Anyway, uh, today's episode is called Ajax, and uh, when I was in that main room in the basement. Uh, my brother had a bunch of his uh, his his work from art school. He went to Rhode Island School of Design or RISD, and uh, he showed me a, a painting. And then on the back, that he had he had written down uh, this this thing. He said it was part of his photography project, and this is what you see on the show art. It said, uh, <coughs> "My first idea was to photograph coffee." But it was too conceptual, and I knew I could never pull it off. And I thought that looked so cool on the back of a canvas. So uh, he had it sort of propped up on a, on the, the TV receiver there. Cable box, whatever. I said, oh, do you mind if I take a picture of that and use it as show art? He's like, no, I don't mind. So, uh, yeah, look at this show art. This is I like this show art. It's pretty wild. It shows a bunch of stuff. Um... So first of all, it is in the basement. The walls have this uh, fake wood paneling, uh, which was so big at some point. I don't know if it when it started, uh, the fake wood paneling, or perhaps in some cases real wood paneling, uh, was a design choice. And I kind of really like it. I think it's probably, I think it just, people don't really do that anymore for whatever reason. It's just a cultural societal trend not to have uh, fake wood grain walls. But it, it, it does feel very warm and inviting. And in fact, this uh, basement room, you can see extensively in the video release, uh, uh, The Complete Evil Farm. No, not The Complete Evil Farm. The Complete Polarized Worlds, I'm sorry. That's when we made a Doctor Who fan film in 1985. So this is that same room that you see extensively in there and also in the movie itself uh, for some scenes, uh, Dr. Morgliff's Lab. So if you look at this picture, there's a lot of things going on here. So you see that artwork of my brothers. And then there's that cable box. I guess they still had cable. Yeah, Optimum. Optimum Cable. That's the one that used to be Cablevision, I think. I do not miss cable TV. I was so done with it. As so many people are. Uh, The cable companies are bleeding subscribers because they treated their customers like shit for so many years. You think people are going to really st- stick with it? These scumbags with their uh worst customer service ever. You know, you you call up and then you're on the phone for hours and you don't get it resolved, that kind of thing. And then uh their their hardware like this cable box which is from uh, Samsung. I don't know how this one is. All the cable boxes I had were sort of 10 year 10 years outdated technology crashed pixelated all sorts of problems endlessly they had shitty technology and uh you know because they were sort of a a monopoly there was really every area only kind of had one or possibly one cable company basically so as a monopoly in an area they were not encouraged to do better so beyond the horrible equipment and the uh um, the horrible customer service, of course, are the scam deals. Get your phone, internet, and cable TV. The triple play, only $99.99 a month. Asterisk. Okay? Now, you know, people tend to screw screw over their future selves, you know. Uh, oh, I can get it for only $100 a month. That's good. That fits within my budget. They don't bother reading the asterisk. Which describes, of course, in very roundabout language, how this is what happens: you just sort of forget about it, you keep using it, and and to and a year later, two years later, you look at your bill. It's two hundred and ninety dollars a month. Wait, oh, what, what, huh, huh, what happened? I thought it was a hundred dollars a month. Oh, that was the introductory rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they are exploiting human nature. You know, and then you call. Okay, listen. I I really can we lower my bill? Oh yes, of course. If we remove HBO, Cinemax, and the Tennis Channel, whatever the obscure channels you're paying for, that'll reduce your bill ten dollars a month. It'll go down from two hundred and ninety dollars to two hundred and eighty dollars. You want to do that? Say so wait, I do watch. H- I I thought I thought it would be more. You know. So basically, these companies abuse their customers. So they're making their money by effing over their customers so when there is an an alternative what do you think the customers are going to do they're going to run screaming from your shitty company and they're saying you know hundreds of thousands of people a year are just cutting the cord and getting rid of cable of course they are you think people are going to put up with this crap I, i got rid of it as soon as i could well maybe not quite as soon as i could but when i moved that was a good moment i moved like almost four years ago now right that's wild. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2020. Well, these were a few weird years with the pandemic and stuff, but I cut the cord. Of course, you have to go to the same company to get internet, but I think at that point they didn't give you too much hassle if you just wanted internet um, because they realized there's, there's only so much you can do to your customers before they, they start to re- rebel, you know, but again, I'm still, I, I have uh you know, Verizon Fios, the, uh, and I actually have fiber optic. It, it's, it was installed in our town. I know a lot of those companies uh, sort of gave up on the fiber optic and stopped uh, in, uh, adding it to new areas. I'm very lucky. I do have it. So it's very fast internet. Though it hasn't been working too well lately, but it goes on and off and whatever. It's That's a whole other issue. Sorry, I was triggered by that cable box. Um, and then you see a TV mounted on the wall, a flat screen TV with the uh, reflection of the lights. Right. There was uh, that was that drop ceiling in the basement where there's like those uh, those sort of white gray mottled panels of some sort of not really foam, but some sort of light material. You know, you know, those drop ceilings with the fluorescent lights. I don't think people do that anymore either, but I guess that was a good option for (laughs) for a basement (coughs) fluorescence. We found a ton of those fluorescent tubes, uh, some of them that were actually curved, uh, you know, 180 degrees, making sort of a U shape. That's also those light bulbs and those, uh, especially fluorescent bulbs, those long tubes. I don't think those are around anymore either. I think you just use LEDs for everything now. See, some things in the future are are much better. They deal with fluorescent lights. There's something about the quality of a fluorescent light that is just... Rather disagreeable, I think, to the human soul. Soul-sucking fluorescent lights. So under the uh, cable box, we have some baskets labeled storage, <coughs> which, uh, ironically, though there's a few of those. They were empty. I was so amazed. I actually looked in them yesterday. They, they, those were empty, but every other thing was jam-packed with junk. That sort of represents all of the junk that was stored away. And then uh, towards the lower left, you see... Uh, A wheelchair and then one of those, I think one of those toilet adapter things, kind of uh, showing this the signs of uh, you know the inconveniences of old age. And in the lower left are two uh, very large prints that were on the wall wall of my father's uh, office. (coughs) They're kind of interesting, but I decided not to take those. There's only so much you can take, and and, you know, again, I have my own. Hell of stuff here. Oh, yeah. In that back room, there was a, uh, one of the more unpleasant uh, items that was uh, represented was lampshades. Lampshades that were put in plastic bags and the bags were tied. There were so many of them and they're so annoying because you can't really put them in boxes. you got to just pile them up on top of things. and There were so many of these lampshades. So I, I just sort of thought this is a this is a tyranny of lampshades. I thought that sounded really good. <coughs> Doesn't that sound like a title of something? A tyranny of lampshades. Let me look it up. Is that was that something? That sounds like a good title for something in like from Britain in like the uh the seventies, a tyranny of lampshades. Well, because also, you know, like a like a lampshade cutting off the light, you know. Sounds, sounds like something. A tyranny of petticoats. Okay. So there's something. A tyranny of... You know, tyranny like a tyrant, like a bad king. You know? Tyranny of lampshades. <coughs> Let's see. Tyranny of voices. Tyranny of light. 28 of the best lamps you can get on Amazon. <laughs> Great. Great. Thanks, Thanks for those search results. The Tyranny of Cool. (coughs) What is that? New York Times article? (coughs) Whenever you click on New York Times, you never know if you're going to be able to read the article or not. (coughs) Uh, The Tyranny of Cool, December 12th, 1999. Yeah. I don't know what the hell this is. (coughs) I don't think it's an article. I don't know what the hell it is. Forget about that. Enough of that. Let's go back to the image. So then you see above the TV and and to the left you see these uh half hulls. My father was really into half hulls which were um basically a few feet long and sort of if you if you took a, a ship like a boat and you sort of cut it in half lengthwise it's a it's basically a a model of a boat or or a wooden impression of a boat put onto a wooden board. And I think it was done as a reference back in the day of, of, of how the ship was built or whatever. So in this case, above the TV, there's one with yellow. and I, and I Because my brother and I really aren't into these half-holes. And I think they are fairly obscure collectible. And I don't really know the history of these, if these are reproductions or if these are originals. I did see a few online that were like thousands of dollars each. I really don't know. But this one, I think I may take this one. I wasn't really thinking of it yesterday, but the yellow was so cool. Iron Ship Ajax, Plymouth, 1863. So, And then on the hull itself, there's all these measurements showing the number of rivets, plated midsections, uh, something bracket. So I really, I should have asked my father before he passed away, it's sort of the um, <clears throat> the context of these, you know, are these modern reproductions, or are they actually from 1800s? I would probably guess these are more modern reproductions, if I had to guess, but half-hulls is the term they always used uh, for them. And then a few to the left we have ship length, a red one, and a green one. Architect hull, 1853, so yeah, I I need to document these a little better, but My father had, the whole basement's full of these half-hulls. He's probably got about 12 to 20 of them in there. Yeah, it was one of the things he collected. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I mean, this one, the the Iron Ship Ajax, that's why I called the Teddy's episode Ajax, because it's an Iron Ship Ajax, but also, besides, I believe Ajax was like a hero from Greek mythology, but I had to look that up, but, uh, it's also a, a a very famous cleansing product, Ajax, a cleaning product, and of course, this has been a pro- project of cleaning up. So it's kind of a double meaning there. I love having double meanings in uh, in on show art. So anyway, that's a, the deal with the show art. I may have to take that Ajax. Yeah. I do a little more research on these half holes. Let me see what I can find for half hulls. Well, a massive half hull ship model, fifteen thousand dollars. What the hell? Yeah, it's, it's, I haven't really been getting much good. Yeah, here's a half hull two twenty nine Etsy, half hull modeling, step by step. Yes, yeah, so I I don't think these are. I if I had to guess, I don't think they're the ones my father have are are vintage, but they may be. Uh America 1851 half hull four four sixty-three Go Nautical decor. Here's one twenty-four thousand dollars, seven hundred and five dollars. What? Hmm. Well, it, it's it's just and then again another one for two hundred dollars. I don't see any that are quite exactly yeah, it, maybe they are all being sold by one place. I mean, they look nice. Ferrari hydroplane half-hull, 632. What? That's pretty cool. A Ferrari boat half-hull. Anyway, I'll have to look at a little bit more into this. Yeah, I mean, I my my tastes don't really go to the nautical, per se, but I, I could dip, dip my toe in the world. And I, yellow is my favorite color, so you know what I'm saying. Ajax, today's show title. Yes. yes. So anyway, also over the weekend, I had some breakthroughs in uh, the OnSug Radio project here, including Flea Devil Solitaire. Um, As you may know, I've been uh, really working hard on trying to craft or create a new experience uh, for Introduction not just introduction, but just sort of an, an, a top-level experience for on radio. As you may know, our project here, we have now over 14,000 hours of audio, which is quite overwhelming. And uh, I wanted to create, essentially, a radio station that you could listen to that plays clips from all of the shows. So... I know I could have gone the route of trying to code a system based on databases, yada yada, to somehow draw random selections. But I fi- i figured, you know, I, you know, I know I probably could go in that direction. But perhaps an easier way, and a more accessible way, would just be to split the audio files into clips, as as I've done before. In this case, I wanted to do clips that were, you know. About the length of a pop song, like three and a half minutes. (coughs) Now, it just turns out that 209 seconds, you know, 209 is my favorite number, is three minutes, 29 seconds. So that sort of combines my favorite number and about the length of a pop song. Not too short, not too long. So I used a program to split the entire uh, over 11,000 tracks, over 14,000 hours, into three and a half minute segments. This process, uh, my computer was running for a month to achieve this. No, you know, I, I know if I had like a quantum computer, which doesn't really exist yet for the home. There's no home quantum computers. It could, it could have been done in like a tenth of a second. But no, with regular computers, this actually took about a month of running. Mr. Mojo, what's going on? Kitty. Um, yeah, so I finally got it done. And uh, I figured I really need to, you know, my, my initial idea as I have gone this random route in the past and uh, I found that <clears throat> the random selections were a bit, I don't know, what like like it, it was a bit confusing, lacking. This was a long time ago though. So I kind of thought generate a random set and then manually curate them. Of course, anytime you have to manually do anything, it adds to the scope of the project. So I was able to, uh, well, the split by the way is over 228,000 of these three and a half minute files. Can you imagine? 228,000, but I use a, a, an MP3 player called, <coughs> what is it called? Something that can handle it and actually can, you can throw all 228,000 in a playlist and it can, it will, uh, and you can hit random; it'll just sh- it and, and it'll become a random playlist. Yeah, the, the program is AIMP portable. So I I, w- I figured I would just sort of experimentally uh, draw two hundred and nine of these clips into a folder, which then sort of un- it, it then it in the folder it's sort of not randomized anymore; it's just by file name. So I can use a program called uh, Bulk Rename Utility to randomize, re-randomize the list, and then apply uh, numbers to it, n- number the list, so it's then re-randomized. So I started listening to it just to get an idea, and I noticed that because of the current nature of the archive, right, <clears throat> right, the. The thing is, I think I had found that there were some clips that were, you know, I think anytime there's one of the hosts talking, it's usually great. But then there's other stuff we play on our shows, playing clips from other people talking and other weird stuff that can kind of throw it off. But I think because of now, today, the full nature of the archive, it is vast majority is uh, content that will work. In a random context, so I realized I was listening to it, and it sounded great. The set of random shows sounded amazing. It just flowed really well, and I have a fade in, fade out on each in each of the uh, sections. It just sounded much better than I was imagining, and I, I, I was so great that it worked out that way. Um. So the I so I so to take away the curation aspect is huge and i and i think that the results of that yes random test who knows if it's going to apply to all of it but i suspected it, it will um it, it's it means we don't need to worry about curation or pre-listening to the clips and we can just have a stream of these random clips and that actually could be the the radio station but i feel strongly that in the actual uh, <clears throat> broadcast right it will, the basis of it will be that random string of uh, three-and-a-half-minute clips, but there'll be a host that's listening along with you that can a uh, uh, comment along the way, sort of cut in at any time, and then also give you know the station identification, hey, this is soak Radio, and uh, also, I think most importantly, uh, provide in audio the names of the shows the clips come from. Because the idea is someone will be listening to this broadcast and, um, ideally down the road, there'll be a, a mechanism by which they can, um, check out the full episode of a clip easily, automatically. But for now, the host will simply let them know, oh, this is from the overnight scape number, you know, 1023 or whatever, you know, what was the overnight scape one, 1023? I don't know. We could look it up, but let's not, um. <clears throat> anyway, you you see what I'm saying. I think having a host provide context and help guide the process, but the random string and it's actually <clears throat> whereas the uh, the set of files is better part of a terabyte. It's it would be easy for me to to make subsections for people if they want to do this hosting <clears throat> because of the method I used, and uh, also I think this can be a template for ultimately employing an AI system to to do that hosting level, right? To create an AI personality that can um, <clears throat> act as host. <coughs> and then, right, that hosting, that broadcast, that hosting level can be done completely automatically. With, you know, the, you know, I do plan on start doing it myself uh, when I get back from my trip, uh, just to sort of get the ball rolling on this level, because the idea is that OnSug Radio is housed in a book, and the idea is that at some point in the future, the book, but be it in physical or virtual form, as soon as you open it or as soon as you touch it, that station starts playing, and you instantly start engaging with it. That's the idea. So I was I, I did release that as Onsag Radio Test One. I did uh, the first seventy clips, <clears throat> uh, which is about. Four hours. Sorry. <clears throat> I breathed in a lot of dust yesterday. I think that's why I'm kind of coughing. Um, today, also, I have uh, the unenviable task of power washing my, my cat box enclosures, which I did a couple years ago, because people are going to be cleaning our cat boxes for us when we're away, you know, taking care of our cats, and they're disgusting on the inside. Only power washing can fix them. But I was really I'm scared because last time I got covid like right after I cleaned the cat boxes I got covid and it kind of and my wife and I both got covid and it messed up our trip back in 2021. <clears throat> so I think I'm going to wear a mask while I'm power washing just cuz I don't know if it's like germs from the cat crud in there I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, yes, 70 Clips, it's uh, it's out now on SUG Radio, test one. <clears throat> There's no hosting, it's just the, the random clips, but you can hear it for yourself. Four hours of these random three and a half minute clips, I think it sounds great. And of course, I, I put the latest version of the book cover as the show art, which I think is really coming along. The book cover has just completely transformed in, in their past month or so to something totally new and different that I do like better the black graphics on the moonlight background. <coughs> so yeah, I was very happy to get that out. And then also, <coughs> what the hell's wrong with me? Also, <coughs> also I've, I've been, uh, <coughs> I had another breakthrough with Flea Devil Solitaire. This is this ongoing story. Last year, if I had to guess around November, I finally finished, I thought I finished the game of Flea Devil Solitaire, which is a sort of a part of OnSug Radio. It's a game, a solitaire game you can play while you're listening. That's the idea of it. This uh, game, which I've now been working on for about 16 years, I feel that in the past week or so, and especially over the weekend, Uh, The breakthroughs, I think, are are making the game much better. It was good before, but I think it's getting much better now. So it all started a week or two ago when I came up with two new rules. The Charged, Flea Hop, and and the Devil Hop. Devil Hop is a really cool move where you identify sets of four cards, which are all four suits. These blocks of four you then can move. You can move one next to another one by paying $3 in game money. Um, which can, It's a big move, but it's a complicated move. It's a wild move. It's a devil hop. That move, I think, is powerful, but perhaps not enough to un- imbalance the game. But the charge flea hops did imbalance the game. That's where <clears throat> you can flea hop... Uh, before, you could just flee hop one one space... If there were two cards of the same suit next to each other, you could push one or the other to the left or the right, one space, for free. As long as when it lands, it does, it's not touching its own suit. Charge flea hops are, if there's, if, there's a, a, if there's a more than two cards of the same suit, you can push off, left or right, the same number of spaces as other instances of the same suit in a row. As long as you don't land, when you land on the hop, as long as you're not touching the same suit, which mitigates the power of the flea hop. As a free move, it's really at the heart of the game of uh, Flea Devil Solitaire. So, with these two new rules, I was playtesting, and it, the, the charged flea hop is way too powerful, and it makes the game much easier to win. And I, I had a string of, like, 30 wins in a row with, like, only one loss. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't working. So in an attempt to mitigate this, I I said, wait a minute. We do have the factor of the zonkers, right? Three zonkers in the deck at the time. Jokers or zonkers that just take up space and make everything further apart, and they're a factor of... Uh, Balancing the game, what if a flea hop, uh, when the card lands, it cannot be next to its own suit or a zonker? So I started play testing with that rule, and it became much too hard to win. It really did limit things a lot. So I'm like, well, what I can do to mitigate is to remove one zonker, go down to two zonkers, which also has the added benefit of now, you don't need to sort of worry about that third Zonker, which, when you buy a deck of cards these days, you're going to get the 52 cards, two Jokers, and then two Junk cards. That's just the way the printing sheet works out. So I've been using those Junk cards to for the third Zonker, and different decks are better. Obviously, you want to have the same card back, which some decks do have. The more higher-end decks usually have that. Some of the lower-end decks don't. But anyway, I'm like, well, this just making it 54 cards uh, makes it actually easier for people to play. So I started playtesting, and it did seem more balanced. I've been very pleased thus far. It's early days in playtesting with this new variant. But when I was driving, I think on Sunday, driving uh, down Route 46 down to the house, I'm like, you know... I know we now have 54 cards, but you know, the logo of Flea Devil Solitaire has, has those solo circles around it and there's 55 circles around it representing the 55 cards in the deck, a very unique deck. It has 55 cards as opposed to 54 or 53 or 52. And I'm like, wait a minute. What if we added back the 55th card, but it's no longer a zonger, it's a special card. So as I was driving, I formulated the rules in my mind. And I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, it's an extra card. And the thing is, there is a need for an extra card because as as you start the game, uh, there's three sections in the game. There's the bankroll, the market, and the easy go. And it's just between the market and the easy go, right? Usually the cards are face down in the easy go, but then when you uh, when you do royalties, they're face up. So I had to have a rule where, There needs to be at least three face-down cards in the the easy-go before you can start placing royalties. But this uh, 55th card could be used as that demarcation, right? So I decided to call it the parking lot, which is actually, since the game is based on a flea market, this is the parking lot where you arrive and where you leave. So I was thinking all this in my mind. I'm like, as soon as I, as soon as I get to... Because I, I was going to Staples. As soon as I get to Staples parking lot, I got to write down about parking lot. And uh yeah, so, so I, I, I've only played a handful of games with this new rule, but I really like it. Because the idea is that you include the parking lot card in the deck when you shuffle. And then there's an exciting moment at the beginning of the game. You find the parking lot. And if... On uh, either side of the parking lot, there's a match, like two fives or two jacks. A special rule is invoked. This is before the action of the game starts, the very beginning. Let's say there's two sevens on either side of the parking lot. You're able then to remove those two sevens and the other two sevens. You can haul all four sevens at once. And then if there's, the, if there's an additional, say there's two fives to the left and right of, of the sevens, you can haul those as well. So this is a special moment that would be fairly rare. I haven't encountered it yet. And even to the point that if you get the two zonkers on either side of the parking lot on the initial shuffle, you can remove them both. And uh, that would be exceedingly rare. But, um, you know, so I'm I'm actually getting sort of like at the very first moment of the game, there's this excitement of if you're going to hit that. I have to come up with a name for that situation. Uh, but generally you you find the parking lot if there's no match on either side of it you just take it and put it on the bottom and that is the demarcation point for the easy go and uh, and it means that you know, I don't have to worry anymore oh if I want to haul an, uh, a royalty I don't have to worry oh are there three cards and I do think that with two zonkers with the new rule of zonker blocks flea hop it, it mitigates the power of the, uh, charge flea hop. Right. And then the devil hop I have done. Sometimes it really works. Sometimes it's a very expensive move at $3 and sometimes, and it's one of those things where figuring out all the impl- implications of a devil hop, it does sort of seem like a deal with the devil is a level because it seems like it's going to be good, but you spent way too much money and then it didn't really help you. Um, it's sort of yeah, so it's sort of a very advanced move, but I really do like it. So I mean, Flea Devil Solitaire. I didn't come up with any new rules for about nine months. I would have to say eight months, nine months, and now this flurry of new rules that's really changing the game, improving the game. I think. Um. <clears throat> so I'm gonna. I need to play test this new form, and uh, let you know how how it goes. It's a little while later now, and uh, still morning time. I just uh, started another game of Flea Devil, and look at this! I got my first ever parking lot match. Yes, the parking lot has two twos. So let's see how I'm going to do this. I'm going to raise up the parking lot, and the, there's a two on either side of the parking lot. Now I just got to search for the other two twos. This is the first. This is the first live on the air. This this will uh, this is exciting. This really does, it, 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 it's a moment in Flea Devil that's so exciting. Are you going to get it? So I'll take out all five cards here and uh, put the parking lot on the bottom, of course. And then, of course, these are twos. They're not royalties, so they are hauled. And I have four bucks in my uh, bankroll, so start the game. Wow, that was exciting, an exciting moment. But uh, I'm watching Ahsoka, which came out last night. It's the latest Star Wars live-action TV show. And, um, you know, because Star Wars had such an impact on me when I was a kid. I saw the first movie in 77 when I was nine, and it changed my life. I know it's a Gen X cliche, but uh, Star Wars was, uh, that moment, that day I saw it, was what a life-changing experience so i feel like i have to watch every live action star wars movie and show and they have been uh of rather low quality lately with some exceptions kind of like with doctor who i've seen every episode of new who and it's been torture perhaps even worse than star wars but uh i draw the line at the cartoons the clone wars and rebels and the bad batch things like that i mean i've seen an episode here and there of those but i don't know i i don't want to go that far i've been aware of them you know i saw the clone wars movie but not really something that i've i felt i had to watch um and they seem a little more geared towards children, as they are cartoons, you know. I mean, I know not all cartoons are for children. Ooh, I'm adjusting my, the headrest on my chair. Um, but I don't feel like I, as a personal rule, I don't have to watch those. So this Ahsoka has uh, Rosaria Dawson playing Ahsoka Tano, uh, who was uh, Anakin's uh, a Padawan during the Clone Wars, in that Clone Wars TV series. She also was in Rebels. So I'm towards the end of the first episode here, or is it, it's season one, episode one, part one. Okay. Um, and a lot of the characters like Hera, Sindula, and Sabine Ran are all from those cartoons. They've been made into live action now. <coughs> and uh, I really didn't know what to expect because I feel the Star Wars TV shows, in my personal opinion, have been lacking. The Mandalorian, the Boba Fett, the Obi Wan Kenobi. Those shows I felt have been uh, not great. However, there was a show called Andor, uh, which actually was fantastic. So this one, it's off to a better start than some of the other ones. I like the pacing and the de- deliberate. It seems like it's being directed more, trying to describe this, in a bit more of a like the characters sort of talk like this and they're more there's a bit of i don't know how to describe it it's like uh a bit more abstracted a bit more serious and a slower pace and i'm i know there's a word i'm looking for how to describe it but i do like this first episode so far it does have this kind of you know, kind of like, think like the old B-movie science fiction with like the wooden acting and the the weird pacing, but it feels very appropriate for Star Wars, so um, so far so good, this is the scene what is this scene? ooh, a lightsaber battle the mysterious new enemy with blonde hair going to happen. Yet another, lightsaber ba- yet another lightsaber battle. I think this Sabine Wren, I, I'm not super familiar with the character from the cartoon, but she seems pretty well cast. All the casting seems good. Yeah, I didn't even know Sabine Wren was, had like a Jedi, was a Jedi. I thought she was just like a Mandalorian. It was kind of cool to see Ahsoka in real life. I remember—that's a cool spaceship, Ahsoka's spaceship. Anyway, I remember at the um, Toys R Us in Times Square, they had like big life-size models of like characters from Clone Wars, including Ahsoka. I thought that was kind of cool. She has those like bulbs or tails on her head, like some of the characters. In the Star Wars universe. Um, I think she's of the same race as, like, Shakti. Remember Shakti? She was one of the Jedi, I think, in the... In the uh, yeah, she's definitely of the same race, Shakti. Uh, she's a Togruta. <clears throat> Togruta were sentient humanoid species characterized by their colorful skin tones, large montrals, headtails and white facial pigments. They hail from the planet Shili in the expansion region. <clears throat> Although Shili was their homeworld, they also had a colony of some 50,000 individuals on the planet Kyros. Also in the expansion region, some well-known Togruda included the Jedi Master Shakti, Jedi Master Jora Mali, never heard of them. Supreme Chancellor Kirimis Kaj and Padawan Ahsoka Tano, say? Who are these other people? Jora Mill? Kirimis Kaj? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, it seems pretty good. What do you want? It's Star Wars. And it's a few minutes later. What is going on here? Um, so for some reason, like after this episode, like it logged me out of Disney+. Plus, and I don't know my password anymore. I completely forgot it. But on my Google services... I have that autofill of the password. So what, what, is, what would you call that phenomenon when you uh, you forgot your password, but you can still log in because it's saved? In, it's saved, but you can't see it, right? You can't really see it in that. Can you see it in Google? Like, you know how Google saves your passwords? Could you see the password, or is it just sort of hidden? Because instead of letters, it's just all those dots, you know, so those little circles. I always feel weird, like, what if I need to log in on a new device that's not connected to the Google thing? Like, I have no idea. I guess I have to reset the password. It's annoying. (laughs) But I was going to say, I I, I realized, you know, Rosario Dawson, who's now playing Ahsoka, she's a big Star Wars star now. She was in uh, Clerks 2, I believe, right? The movie by Kevin Smith, Clerks 2 and of course Kevin Smith uh, is is obsessed with Star Wars and you know it's like uh, Star Wars is a big big sort of focus of uh, clerks but now I wonder how he feels about his uh, one of of the actors in his movies uh, now becoming a big Star Wars actor I wonder if he could go could he he go into space and be in Star Wars too I don't know probably not that would seem seem too self-indulgent but she's Rosera Dawson is good. I mean, she does bear a resemblance to the cartoon character, so.
1: That's good. Anyway,
0: yeah. At some point, again, today I'm sort of power washing the cat box in containers. That's going to be tough, but I just have to do it. I just have to do it. It's a bit later now, again. And just for the record, uh, this Flea Devil game got a uh, perfect score. Yes, 12 phase 4 ace. Of course, that's not the highest score you can get because uh, with antiques you can uh, make more aces, but let's not even get into that right now. But, uh, so that's around 10 where I have one loss and one snafu. Um, so it's going to take, it's going to take quite a bit of testing this just to see if the balance is right here, but I do like this, uh, this new uh, configuration of the rules, and uh, it's a real revolution in Flea Devil Solitaire. Hello, it's later now. Oh, well, I'm almost done with the power washing process. I So it's, it's like, it's sort of a wood container, and then like a plastic liner, and then the actual litter box, which has two parts the top and the bottom, there's also a drawer in there, and then there's the scoop. And, uh, you know, as I said, I did this like a year and a, a quarter ago before we were going to go to Texas and New Mexico, but we both got COVID, so that trip was canceled, except I did go to New Mexico, uh, which you heard on the New Mexico episode to go see PQ. Uh, yeah, it gets really nasty in there, and I probably should do this more often, but this is really a rather... Difficult process. I do have the power washer, you know. It's a device you plug in to electrical power, and you also put a hose in it, and then it shoots out super uh, concentrated jet of water that can kind of clean anything. So I kind of knew what I was in for. It's not pleasant, especially if you get it at the wrong angle. All the schmutz just shoots right at you. So basically, I know. And plus, I have to get a uh, I have to get a haircut later on too. So I'm going to have to take another shower and change my clothes completely from this uh, uh, this this cat box power washing situation. And, uh, you know, I was trying to do it as close as possible to the departure date, as it is in six days now. But uh, today is beautiful, sunny. The sun is it's very sunny. The sun is beaming down. And that's what I need. I need to air dry all this stuff once it... Uh, and it's, it's, it's drying surprisingly quickly in, in, in the baking sun but yeah, it's forecast to be rain the next, up until like it's going to be raining every day up until we leave on Tuesday, today being Wednesday so yeah, I just have to bring in the other stuff I did the downstairs one now I've got to just bring in the ups- let it dry, bring it back in put new litter in and that'll do it now I tried to get something else done as well um. So, as you may know, my father passed away a few months ago, and I, I inherited his car. And he had insurance through this company called USAA, which is only for a military and veter- veterans or, and their families. And I've heard, by word of mouth, very good things about this company. So, when it was time to get the insurance, uh, I did switch to USAA from GEICO for both our cars. But I've been having a lot of little issues with USAA that uh, make me question whether I should have uh, gone over today so today we the other day we got you know a policy statement you know when you have car insurance you get almost every other day you get these policy statements and um, bills obviously but all these other communications um you may recall no. in the past uh you know the month past, past month or two they're like, okay, you got to get your car inspected. So I went through this whole process, going to this Zippo's car detailing, car audio place, doing this whole thing, and they're taking pictures of the car and everything, sending it in. So I finally did it for both cars. I'm like, oh, at least that's done. And then I get this letter in the mail. Oh, your car is no longer insured. We never received the uh, we never received the inspection report. I'm like, wait, what? They're like, "Oh, well, for your for your other car, we got it, but for this one, we didn't." So, we canceled your insurance. Wait, what? So, we went through this whole drawn-out process. I was on the phone for like I I have to think like an hour and a half. And they're like, "Oh. Oh, so it was your your father's car before, and, and he also had USAA." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh." They're like, "Oh, well, that means you didn't even need to get the inspection." <laughs> Oh my God. And then it's almost like they had to recreate the insurance. I don't know what's up with these people. Listen, I heard good things about them I re, from word of mouth. I researched them online. Listen, they say, say, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. I am really, you know, getting out. And, and, and their phone system is so horrible. Like, please describe to me, like it's supposed to be like AI, what you're calling about every time it sends me to the wrong department. It's so frustrating. Listen, I know they're all like that, talking about the customer service, like with the cable companies and everything. They're all like that. But why did I switch if I'm gonna get the runaround? Like I would have gotten a Geico anyway. Anyway. Um. So we got this thing in the mail, and my wife's name is spelled wrong. Instead of Denise, it's Bunice with a B. I'm like what the hell? Because when I signed up, the guy's like, "Okay, let me read that back to you." B-E-N-I-C-E, and I'm like, "No, no, D, D as in, D as in David, as in dog, as in." whatever. He's like, oh, okay, sorry. I, I, I fixed it. So he made the mistake and fixed it, but now the name is on there. So I just, I'm like, I, I wanted the website seeing if I could change it, but you can't. So I called up. I was on the phone with, this was just recent. This isn't like in the past hour. I was on the phone for them for 35 minutes. They're like, there's nothing we can do. We can't change a name. We have to talk to your wife. I, I mean, what? what is, like, why, what? Like, it was your mistake. You can't just no. We can't. So this woman was like calling all these different departments, and who knows if she was really calling any different departments or just taking a break. I was on hold for like five, ten minutes at a time. She's like, "Yeah, there's no, there's nothing we can do. We can't change the name. This is this is exactly like remember in, in the movie Brazil, it, uh, a, a Tuttle was changed to Buttle, one letter off, the B as well. You know, we can't do it. We can't do it. There's nothing we can do." So now i got to call back and hand the phone to my wife, hi, yeah. I, sh- I should just, hello, yes, this is Denise, you know. <laughs> then they couldn't do anything after 35 minutes to fix the name. It was so annoying. Uh, I mean, of course, you, I come to expect it from these types of big companies, but, you know, what they say is as these companies are, they, when they go through economic hardships and their profits go down, they have to cut, and usually where they cut is customer service. So, I don't know what's going on. So yeah, that was a bit frustrating though. I mean, it's not the end of the world. So I said, could this, could this name difference cause a problem? She's like, um, I don't know. I put a, I I I put a note on the. So maybe it will. Maybe I maybe we get a, a, my car gets hit. Oh, sorry, you had the name wrong. We can't pay you. I hope they wouldn't do that. But yeah, you know, I uh, I do regret now getting USAA with all these little issues. Even, like, my name, it's like, a oh, Frank E. Nor with a lowercase e. Like, why does it have to be a lowercase e? You know what I mean? I know, I know I'm, I'm kind of nitpicking at this point, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, I wanted to go through my photos the past, you know, like I was there at my, at my parents' house for four days, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday. Um, going through this stuff, so I, I took a few pictures here and there. Stuff I didn't necessarily take, but I just wanted to you know, um, comment on. First thing we have is a little thing called the Knee Defender, KneeDefender.com. So what this is, it's like a uh, these little plastic blocks with these, like, ratchet shapes inside, almost shaped like, like a lowercase n. And apparently what it is is it was when you're on a plane, you can use it to prevent the person in front of you from jamming their seat back on you. Because I know my father was really – that was one of his pet peeves when these people sort of like jammed their – because he's very tall. He's taller than me. He's like, he was like, he was like six four. These people would like jam their seat back into his knees. So this knee defender apparently, when you put your tray table down, somehow you can jam these little plastic blocks in there and uh, prevent the person from uh, sitting back. I, you know, as, as I'm sort of a – have been a commuter on the bus especially for so long – Uh, I think I'm just more used to the inconvenience of having someone jam their seat back onto your knees. But anyway, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. All right, what else do we have here? We have the uh, cruise ship bingo markers from Cunard. Was it the 175th anniversary? I I just thought that was funny. Like, you're on a cruise ship, and then you play bingo... So they kept the bingo markers. There was a ship in a bottle. I kind of remember from my childhood, but it wasn't particularly remarkable. And then there's my childhood skateboard, which I did not take because I really don't want it. But it's orange, and uh, the the brand name, I looked it up, is Makaha, M-A-K-A-H-A, Makaha Skateboard. So I thought it was just like a toy, but it's actually a real skateboard company. Yeah, I'm not really that sentimental about it. Then in the attic, there actually were some Lionel trains. I looked them up. They're not really worth much, and I don't want to deal with them. But this was uh, a story. My father's parents bought a house in New Brunswick around 1950, and the entire basement was a huge Lionel train set. So this is a remnant of that. And I know if you're... A Lionel train fan, you might think it's something special, but this is just th- everything's destroyed. It's, nothing is in good shape, you know. Because as kids, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to play the hell, play with these, play the hell out with, ugh, play the hell out of these things. Have fun with your toys, not preserve them to be collectible. Yeah, there's a weird foam, like weird island thing. I don't know if it was for a school project or something. That was weird. Even looking at these pictures from that storage area, it's like, ugh. My father's like military trunk, it just said Frank Nora, New Brunswick, New Jersey, USA. <laughs> then there was this wicker chest of drawers and in one drawer was all these old bottles. I think we used to find bottles out in the woods, you know. Some pop up books. And one of those little you know those little pieces of paper you put in a book it has a like, gum- gummed back and you from the library of Frankie Nora. I remember those. There's a name for that. Front pieces, title cards. I don't know what you call it exactly. But it's a cool one. It has, like, Alice in Wonderland and a sailing ship. It's, it's, it's cool. From the Library of Frankie Nora. Yeah, there were these uh, these little slipcases with these Disney books. Parade, Fun Fun Fact, Fantasy Fiction. And uh, another, another Disney one.
2: <laughs> An
0: old... Uh, Snowjet mobile, S N O hyphen, J E T space mobile. It's it's like a little snowmobile sled. I remember that. We had that as kids. Again, I'm leaving this stuff behind because I have no You know, I you have to draw the line somewhere. I take I took plenty of stuff. But this is stuff I didn't take. Here's a good one. Um, you know you know the uh, Mandela effect with the Bernstein bears? Uh, I, I quite clearly remember it being spelled S T E I N Though at some point, the spelling changed worldwide to S-T-A-I-N, the idea being that uh, through some some kind of timeline merging, there were two timelines perhaps, uh, one word spelled S-T-E-I-N and one word spelled S-T-A-I-N. And uh, as the two merged, the A-I-N became the official spelling in reality. So even books you had up in an attic type of space, the letter would have changed. Or the attic... The the book itself merged from the copy that had the, that spelling, so we there's an actual Bernstein Bears book here, the Bear Scouts one of, and, and there's like a, the Cat and Hat in the upper right, the Bear Scouts by Stan and Jan Baron Stain S T A I N, so there's yeah a good example of a book in a in an attic changing spelling S T A I N. Now listen, we could all be remembering it wrong. When we hear Stein, it's usually S T E I N, but you know, I, I, I think there's more to it than that. There's something to this whole observation. The Bernstein Bears. Get out of here. Yeah, there's a couple of books uh, Miss Pickerel Goes to Mars and Miss Pickerel and the Geiger Counter. I remember, I think my teacher in fourth grade, Miss Changaris, I think was her name. How did I? How can I even remember that? She recommended the Miss Pickerel books. It's like this, this old woman who went on all these adventures, like going to Mars and dealing with radioactivity and stuff. Uh, some of those Dungeons and Dragons endless quest books; those were those weren't very good. Um. Yeah, then there was this this whole genre of books I'm really quite fascinated with. They're called like preschool puppet books, and this is the one called The Snow Queen from Golden Press. And it, I think this was these images were created out of Japan, and they were a little like it was almost sort of like you do for stop motion. You build these little puppets and the scenes, and then photograph them, as opposed to doing illustrations. And there's something really quite amazing about that process. I think I, I took one or two of them, right? I want to know more about this these these uh, puppet puppet books. Let me see if I can do any research on these puppet books. Because it was uh, an art form that it seemed like it was just uh, – yeah, it seemed like it was fairly um, – limited in terms of how much they were doing it maybe it was one studio in japan that did it yeah preschool puppet books yeah yeah hmm dinosaurs yeah there's a lot of these i don't know if like i know i at one point i found bunnies colors at one point i found um Some more information about how, like, like what was going on with it, but uh, it's gonna—I'll write something down. Puppet books. It would take a lot more research to uh, figure out what's going on with that. But there's a certain quality to those images that's much different than just an illustration. Now, I'm sure once you get a studio like that up and running, you know you can reuse some some pieces and stuff. But generally, it's gonna be, you know, time-consuming to create the little dolls and stuff. But then. You have a unique image as opposed to just hiring an illustrator to draw it. So, But I don't know. Um, yeah, whatever happened with that. But anyway, it's not like you. I, I, where else would I run across it than in a, than in a storage area, you know? Then we have some wine bottles. My grandfather was a huge wine drinker, and he would buy these bottles that were later found to be incredibly. Expensive. So he, he would like love to break open a bottle and say this is worth like $6,000, this bottle of wine. Meanwhile, he bought it like 20, 30 years earlier for like 10 bucks, you know. But here's one. Grand Vin. I know I'm not pronouncing this right. Grand Vin de Chateau Latour. Uh, 1961. So I looked this up, and I think some people are selling it for a couple thousand maybe today grand V V de La Latour. that French man that's tough it's a tough language a lot of Epcot Center stuff I found uh, some pencils and some mag I did take the magnets of uh, from kitchen cabaret magnets from Epcot if you know what that is you know what I'm talking about and here's a there was a marble in a bag with a story it's sort of a photocopy of a typed out thing it says, the marble story. A friend of mine once said to me, This marble is for you for I was sure I had lost all of mine when life became so blue. So now I so now I know despite the odds my marbles may be few. But that friend of mine reminded me life can be wonderful too. Now you can have a marble. And only for some fun, so when you think you've lost your marbles, you know you have at least one. Great. Then there was an old bottle of, like, spring water from Europe. La Roche, West Country Spring Water. I think it was from, like, Britain or something. Yeah, It's a cool, like, hand-drawn label. Then there's a cookie jar white ceramic with uh, cookies and sort of a condensed uh, almost slab serif font and a, a cork lid I used to get cookies out of there when I was a kid one of those blue bottles voltaggia what was that was that um was that I think that was when they had those those like cobalt blue bottles for that uh Arizona iced tea I think that's what that was and a six pack of coke holiday hospitality collectible Yeah, there was an interesting uh, there was an interesting piece here. It was like a, a wooden bowl that was a, um, a pineapple, and underneath it said "Woods of Hawaii, Honolulu- Honolulu's finest at Waikiki Monkey Pod Wood." Uh, I almost took that one because it was kind of a cool little thing, but then you know the whole thing with that whole pineapple thing, you know, like if 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 my pineapple bowl accidentally went upside down, people might get the wrong idea, you know. You know what I'm talking about? That whole thing? No? Like if you're a swinger, you're supposed to put an upside-down pineapple outside your house. I don't know how true that is, but I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of stuff. It's not my bag, baby. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah, there. This I found some boxes from the Pink Sleigh. That store I, I've talked about a lot. That was in Oldwick, New Jersey. In fact, I have the the address here, the Pink Sleigh, P.O. Box 35, Route 523, Oldwick, New Jersey, 08858, 201-439-2435. So if you're back in time, you can call that number. It was, it was a cool Christmas shop my mother liked. Here's a Bambergers box from when Bambergers was a thing. It was their second logo, not their first logo, more of the uh, sans serif, kind of in, in the realm of like a... Bauhaus type of font, and then there's a there's a book that someone actually hand hand drew uh, in the front page. Jane DeMund's book, September twenty fourth, eighteen thirty eight. So Jane in eighteen thirty eight just just like drew this on her book. There's so many old books because when my grandparents moved into that house, besides there being a train station in the basement, the guy that well, the guy was a book collector, and he left a shit ton of books, card part of my French, in the attic of that house in New Brunswick. Uh, really old books, but not nothing... I mean, a book could be from 1838, but it's not really worth anything, you know. Then, I think they had saved... My mother saved a lot of newspaper articles. And this one... Let me see if I can figure out where, when it was from. New York Post... Thursday, November 9th, 2017. Floppelgangers, Gangers, cats and their bunny twins. So they found like little kittens and rat- rabbits that looked had the same coloration. Suppose that's a little cute. And then there was an actual filled bottle of Coca-Cola way back in a closet. Coca-Cola Classic, the Big Drive of 89. September 4th through 9th, 89, Montana. So this is like a collectible bottle you could only get in Montana. So my mother kept it. Montana Centennial, 1889 to 1989. Route of the Great Montana Centennial Cattle Drive. Muscle Shell River, Bull Mountain, Yellowstone River, and Billings. Wow. Yeah, interesting, now we get to the part when I started this episode with those uh, illustrations. There's a painting of an owl, like a, like a drawing, but it was severely water damaged, so I just took a picture of it, unfortunately. The artist was Haller. It was $51, and it was a screech owl. But yeah, super water damaged, so that's not, that's not nice. And some books. Looking out for number one by... Robert J. Ringer, author of Winning Through Intimidation, and there's like a turtle humanoid character there. I kind of remember that being a big thing. On the back it says, This is a book about life. Your life. In the unique, easy-to-understand humorous style that has marked his emergence as the people's philosopher of the 70s, Robert J. Ringer abruptly discards irrational customs and traditions and guides you on the most exciting and rewarding journey of your life. At Journey's End, you'll clearly understand how to get from where you are now to where you want to be with friends, lovers, finances, and all other areas of your personal world. There has never been a single source of usable real life wisdom to equal looking out for number one. <clears throat> and then there's this book, Your Erroneous Zones, by Dr. Wayne W. Dyer. And he looked like this 70s dude with a big mustache. A nationally famous number one bestseller. I remember seeing this in the house. And of course, here we go, the weed whacking begins. One full year, a national bestseller. There is overwhelming evidence that your erroneous zones. I guess that's sort of a play on words of erogenous zones. I don't know. One of the fastest selling books in history is also one of the most practical self actualization books ever written, as Dr. Dyer's own remarkable success story demonstrates. Practicing therapist and counselor, he has followed his own advice to become a coast-to-coast celebrity, and in a very short time has appeared on more than 700 radio and television shows. His message is simple and direct. It can show you how to cut through a lifetime of emotional red tape once and for all. It can put you in firm and effective control of who and what you are, and very possibly can change your life, selected by four major book clubs. Here is the top of what was a like a tray table kind of thing, like a um, yeah, a little table you could eat dinner at, at at the couch. And it's this turtle tortoise shell design. Another wine label that was framed actually must have been a 1959 Pet- Petrus Pomerol Grand Vin. An empty container of Montana Hel- Helen's Huckleberry Cordials. And this weird little puppet and like this weird little cup thing. I remember you used to play with that. And then all of these crests that used to be on our, my, me and my brother's wall. The Falcon of the Plantagenets, the Unicorn of Scotland, the Lion of England, the Red Dragon of Wales. And then the Yale of Beaufort. And I was like, the Yale is this weird like spotted like creature with ram horns and stuff the White Greyhound of Richmond, the White Lion of Mortimer, the Black Bull of Clarence, the Griffin of Edward III, and the White Horse of Hanover. That was on our wall for a while. Just like cool monster-type creatures. We del- we loved anything that was monsterish. And then the, the, there's two black and white TV sets, and uh, me and my brother were marveling at the actual static on the screen. Uh, I still I think I'm going to take them. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of miss um, the cathode ray tube uh, TVs. And cassettes, so many cassettes. Too many cassettes. You can't imagine how many cassettes. There's probably over a thousand cassettes in that basement. I may be exaggerating, but hundreds and hundreds. And then I found carob powder for baking and cooking, caffeine-free, health management. Remember, carob, the supposed chocolate replacement, just never really took off. And, of course, that... um that drink that may never have existed carob rush that had that ad in that one magazine remember i finally got the ad because it was on the internet archive and then it and then it got deleted remember that whole thing i don't even know general nutrition corporation for the uh, the carob carob powder is made from the dried pods of the carob tree the pulp of the pods is similar to cocoa finely ground and blended to give you carob powder Golden Harvest natural carob powder gives you the taste, look, and sweet tooth satisfaction of the finest cocoa. Uh eh. It did not. Carob was not good. As far as I recall, it was very bitter and nasty. It was not like chocolate at all. But contains absolutely no chocolate, cocoa, or caffeine. Why use chocolate or cocoa when you can choose carob, the all-natural substitute? Carob powder can be used as a direct replacement for cocoa. If a recipe calls for uh, cocoa... Use the equal amount of carob powder in place of cocoa. If a recipe calls for chocolate, use three teaspoons of powder, t- carob powder plus one teaspoon of water to place each of the squares of chocolate. Get out of here. This carob scam. Get out. And then I found my mother's military trunk. Sappenfield Dale E. Yeah, that was her maiden name. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm getting flashbacks of, the, of, of all the work I did there. And I found my grandfather's 60mm movie camera. Again, I'm not going to take it because it is just big and bulky. I don't need it. But it's a Canon ScoopIC 16 made in Japan. And I looked it up in good condition. This could be worth a couple thousand dollars. But it's the, the case is all water damage. has so much water damage. I found the original bur- building permit for the house. That was from around 1950. Also, unrelated to the other house in 1950, Mr. Verscore. Yeah, the guy that lived there built the house. And also, uh, I got in touch with his daughter on Facebook at one point. And let's see, what else did we find here? Oh, yeah, um, I think Fleischmann's margarine or something. These distinctive plastic tins with corn. Or maybe it was corn margarine, but these pieces of corn. I remember those, kind of cool looking. Let's see. This is so much stuff. Yeah, I would just take a picture. if I'm like, hey, I, I need a visual reference or something. Let me take a look. And, of course, a rewinder, the speed winder from Quantum International. Remember, Be, Quant- Be Kind Rewind. We need to rewind your, your tapes, of course. And then all of these uh, a Kodak, uh, you know, the slide carousels, my parents had already emptied them and actually got them scanned in and I have those scans but they kept all of the, ca- the empty carousels in the boxes so I just took a picture of all the the labels which was a bit much but I figured you know that stuff's gonna be trashed anyway unless at the estate sale someone wants to buy empty uh, carousels you know someone might you never know and that's it that's that's the stuff and the some of the I did takes a few things maybe we'll go through that at some point but that's kind of this the whole situation there. Alright, it's later on now and uh, (laughs) excuse me. Uh, Yeah, I found the two books, the two uh, preschool puppet books. I have Fire Engines and The Clock book. Pictures by uh, Tadasu Izawa. Um, So it says, illustrations copyright 1971 Tadasu Izawa through management of Dairisha Inc. printed and bound in Japan by Zoka Isha Publications Limited, Roppongi Minatoku Tokyo. So these are from Japan. So for example, uh, fire engines, it shows a fire department building with some toy fire engines. And then there's a larger fire engine with these two puppet men inside. Then this image, the, the, the two firemen connecting the hose to the fire hydrant, all done as puppets. Yeah, and here they are putting out the fire. So, yeah, it must be this, uh, yeah, and then this other one is the clock book. Let's see, the same thing. Uh, Illustrations Copyright 72 by Tadasu Izawa and uh, Shigemi Hijikata. The same thing. This one has little little mouse people, humanoid mice, and various clocks that they're looking at. Humanoid mice and clocks. Well, you know, the whole hickory dickory dock, the mouse ran up the clock. M- m- mice and clocks. Clice? Clocks? Clice? No. Clocks and not clice. So here we see Tadasu Uzawa, born 1909, died 1994. <coughs> was a Japanese <laughs> screenwriter, director, and novelist. I don't know if it's the same one, though. <coughs> but if you look up Tadasu Izawa all these puppet storybooks come up. Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, Three Little Indians. Yeah, Good luck with that one these days. Now come on. Uh, Yeah, and what else do we have here? Jack and the Beanstalk, Big and Little, The Little Red Hen, I think we had that one. But this... Uh, a puppet storybook is another way they're calling it. A puppet storybook. I'm just trying to get some information about this. So maybe it was just like this one studio, this one guy that made these uh, illustrations. Mm Hmm. I could swear I found some information before. Hmm. I mean, it's just because these books have persisted as physical objects, and they're listed for sale, etc. Um... you know, but, so maybe it was just, yeah, and they're considered illustrations done through the photography, yeah, Mm, sorry, I'm not really making much, uh, all right, here we go, the trash collector, okay, yeah, this is a good site, I've been on this site before, children's books, lenticular 3D books, okay, hmm, Okay, so there's some of the yeah yeah puppet storybooks, puppet storybooks. Okay, that's the phrase puppet storybooks. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting hung up on this whole thing story. Okay, Jeez, man, yeah that site like, and they, this guy has stuff for sale too. This guy, Oh, look the Snow Queen that same book that was in the it had like thirty bucks. Yeah, everything at my parents' house is just yeah it's in bad shape. Mm. Introduced in the 1960s, 3D picture books were a popular import from Japan. These books featured full-page photographs of the action utilizing posable puppets, many bearing the large eyes popular in Asian children's fair as well as in contemporary American pop art. The greatest allure of these books, though, were the 3D lenticular placards attached to the front covers, much like the 3D postcards that were popular during the 1950s and 60s produced by Variview. Most of the illustrations were produced by Rose Art Studios, Shiba Productions, Tadasu Izawa, and Arshigemi Hijikata. Beginning in the 1970s, newer 3D books and reprints of old favorites were printed without the 3D placards, the cover art being replicated with the standard photographs that made up the interiors. Many of these books fetch a high price on the market today, specifically higher grade copies with the placards still attached as these were often remo- removed by young owners, yes. So, yeah, so there's just a limited number of studios that did this. So you can imagine it was kind of a cool gig. But I've always been fascinated by the idea of yeah, creating little scenes and models to photograph. That's something that really, uh, I think I think, hasn't been explored enough in this world, you know. <laughs> or maybe it's been explored too much. I don't know. See, like these, like fire engines, here's fire engines for sale on this site, six bucks. I mean, it's not really worth anything, you know. Yeah, that's not lenticular, though. Anyway, you see what I'm talking about? Do you see what I'm talking about? Um, Talking about puppets, I found this also in one box, Um, an issue of National Geographic World. And this is from uh, September 1980, and there's this puppet wizard on the cover. Some kind of a doll. And this is very interesting because this is something I've been trying to figure out. There was a company that made these hats with horns and lightning bolts on them, and this is the company. Stitch and Stuff Sculpture, Fabric Friend. Erica Tyron, 9, of Los Angeles, California, cuddles a doll that looks like Mork of television. Erica's mother made this unusual doll from fabric and stuffing. So yeah, there's, this is sort of talking about how to make it, but then here is the article, Making Vegetables uh, Come to Life. And this is the company that made those hats with the, the horns and the lightning bolts and the antennas and all this other stuff. A crop of vegetables, soft sculpture vegetables, and stuffed animals surround Beverly Red. Miss Red operates Free Mountain Toys, Inc. of Bristol, Vermont. You'll see more of her wacky creations on the next page. And there's one of the hats, yes with those, those like those twisty horns or antennas yes and there, and there they are manufacturing the hats some of them have those like um, those uh wings on them kind of like uh, mercury right devil horns uh yes, yeah, so many different types of hats and uh, bug antenna yeah wow, this is this is like the mother load when I'm talking about these hats. <clears throat> I remember seeing them. Usually, I think they were in Starlog or other magazines. And I've talked about this in, in the past. Um, Free Mountain Hats, right? Yeah, Free Mountain Hats, yeah. So here's the article. Zoo full of hats. Slip into something silly. Try on a pair of deer antlers. Try on a pair of deer antlers. Perhaps you prefer butterfly feelers or lightning bolts. You can also pick out ears, horns, or wings. All cut out of soft fabric and stitched... Onto colorful baseball caps, many shops sell this unusual headgear. Beverly Red created the hats on these pages. She also designed the family of fuzzy, soft sculpture vegetables on pages six and seven. They include five pea brothers in a zip zippered pod, and that actual that design actually wound up in the the, the movie toys, right? The the peas in a pod, I believe. I found that I read that somewhere else. Um, peas in a pod. <clears throat> and a blue-eyed banana smiling from inside a 15-inch skin. Miss Red began making veg- vegetables 11 years ago. She started her business by making the toys herself and selling them to stores. Then, as her soft-sculpture vegetables crop grew larger, she hired other people to produce it. To house her growing business, Miss Red turned an old grain mill in Bristol, Vermont, into a toy factory. She calls it the veggie mill And then here's some of the illustrations... Glad Hatter. Wearing horned headgear, factory worker Barry Curavu, Left, cuts out patterns for other hats. Many stores sell the hats. Our One storekeeper says that people buy the hats because everyone likes to feel silly. Hats in the hundreds. Inside the factory, below, employees Beth Morrissey at Left and her sister Carol sort hats by style and color. Wings, lightning bolts, feelers, antlers, and ears decorate the hats. (coughs) And here's four children holding a cat. No hat for the cat. Near the toy factory, Christy Bedard, eleven, takes the family cat for a walk. Her sister her sister's twins, Sherry, Left and Shauna, and their friend Matthew Norris, all eight, join them. Matthew lives in Bristols, so the girls live in nearby Starksboro. All except the cap so all except the cat wear baseball caps with horns, wings, and feelers. At the factory, workers use machines to cut stacks of vegetable shapes out of colorful fabrics then seamstresses who live near the factory stitched the toys together in their own homes as the vegetables became more and more popular miss red began making free mountain toys a whole zoo full of stuffed animals the animal collection includes four sardines crowded into a zippered can that's kind of a synchronicity because there's a sardine story coming up a squeezable pink pig that carries a piglet in a handy pocket and a mouse that lives in a wedge of cheese. See, more mouse-related things. In 1978, Miss Red decided she wanted something different to wear as she drove her new car. So she showed, so she sewed a pair of horns onto a new blue baseball cap. Jeez, these are tongue twisters, damn. Suddenly it occurred to her that other people might like her hat idea too. She was right. Now hundreds of thousands of people buy decorated hats as fast as the factory can make them. I started sewing when I was about six years old, says Miss Red. I made doll clothes. I got my first real sewing machine when I was 15. I've been sewing ever since. Lately, Miss Red has been uh, designing some new soft sculpture characters for her toy collection. She's working on a cat in pajamas and stuffed wings people can wear on their arms and legs. Her favorite among her dozens of creations. I like whatever is new, she said, but I'll always love most the first vegetable the first vegetable I made, it was a carrot. Wow, some great information there. And let's see whatever happened to Free Mountain Toys now that we're in the future. I don't think the company still exists. I think the whole thing kind of, I don't know what happened. Free Mountain Toys, yeah, yeah, was a company based in Bristol, Vermont. The company was founded in 1975. All the stuff we uh, heard. In 1978, the company's gross income was almost $6 million. Products were sown by as many as 140 local women, in addition to a staff of 10 at the VegeMill, where grain bins were used in cutting, assembling, and boxed, m- boxing merchandise. In June 1980, Red sold Free Mountain to Michael Balzer. The company's trademarks have since expired. It was this case of someone buying it and then just, just letting it all like die? Like, it, it, this seems so... Uh, promising, with such, I mean, it, it ended. This was this article is from September nineteen eighty. So, I think it was already dead by that time. That is so sad. It sounds like such a wonderful story. Five, seven, and eight. Five, seven, and eight. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we're gonna be able to find these these information. Um, Down East, Down East magazine. Can we, can we read this? No ebook available. Okay, whatever. <sighs> yeah. What, what happened? What happened? Come on. Yeah. It, 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 who? Who is this Michael Balzer person? Hey, let me buy your ve- vegetable animals, please, Miss Red. Okay. Buy them. That's fine with me. What? I mean, doesn't it sound, like, odd? Like, how this whole thing sort of... Let's uh, see. Here's an article about him in a New York Times. Disaffected executives turned to Vermont business broker. November 27th, 1981. Let's see. For 14 years, Michael Balzer worked his way up the corporate ladder to Vice President at Shipley Company, a family-owned Boston-based chemical company. But Mr. Balzer, working under a young president who had no plans to leave, thought he had reached a dead end in his early 40s. He feared that he could spend another 14 years at the company performing the same tasks. Eager to try his hand at running his own business, Mr. Balzer enlisted the help of Country Business Services, a Brattleboro, Vermont brokerage, specializing in finding small businesses in new england and northern new york for the disaffected corporate employee ready to become self-employed because he specified that he only wanted to buy a manufacturing company many of country businesses clients purchase inns the brokerage two years ago paired mr balser with Free Mountain toys in bristol vermont the company makes highly successful vegimals stuffed toys in the shape of vegetables with animal faces and features as well as an increasingly popular line, popular line of hats, adorned with wings, ears, horns, and more. Mr. Balzer said he was thrilled with the idea. I think it's a neat transition, he said. 80% of the knowledge of running a business I already had, and the other 20% the product I would have to learn anyway. I spent the first few months here working with the designers. He calls his own shots. So this is 81. Okay, so about a year later. Hmm. The greater satisfaction, however, comes from calling the shots himself, whereas in his previous job it took an act of God to make a change in a product. Mr. Balzer said, Today he merely says the word and it's done. Uh, and then go, I think it goes on to different people. No, okay. In addition to recently set up New England Hats Limited, a distributorship of Free Mountains Line... Yes, he signed a licensing agreement with Lucasfilms in Hollywood to market a Yoda hat. Yes, I remember that Yoda hat. Okay, that, yes. All right. Ooh, Mr. Gregg, 53. This sounds like the gray egg from Brewerblen A. Richardson. Anyway, uh, so the company was still in business at this point, And then uh, what, what, what happened with Mr. Balzer? It didn't work out, I suppose. Anyway, that, that's about as much research as we can do today with this topic anyway there was also a ton of these little golden books and one of them really caught my eye because there was a book about litter bugs uh, that I had when I went to nursery school and I think someone stole it from me and it was a really difficult experience for my young life and eventually I bought more copies of it but then I saw a copy of it in one of the boxes but I think it was in bad shape because I have I bought a couple copies on eBay many many years ago But here is the same characters, a little golden book, the Nitos and the Litterbugs in the Mystery of the Missing Ticket. And I can see the other book was called Litterbugs Come in Every Size. Yeah. Yeah, the same characters, definitely. And he has another book called Whoa, Joey, about a kangaroo or something. Hmm. Anyway, this book is by Nora Smarriage, illustrated by Charles Brack. And this is from 1973. The Nitos vs. the Litterbugs. So. Anyway, it's a little golden book. I didn't know there was more to the Litterbug saga. And, in a very uh, bizarre twist of fate, I can't even believe this happened. I found my old wacky packages. You know, wacky packages from Tops. those beautifully illustrated paintings of uh, parodies of different products, right? Uh, I really never knew what happened to mine, but I found them. And this is, these are from, well, some of them are from 79. Are they all from 79? Hmm, so these may not be mine then. These may be one of my other siblings. Because I got mine in the earlier 70s. But anyway, I think these are probably mine. I love them. Scorch Mouthwash, Jerky Fruits, Canadian Clawed Whiskey, Paid Killers, Sorry Wrap, O'Hairy, Clammy, the Fishy Smelling Soap. Oh, I love these so much. But yeah, 79, no. I don't know, man. I'd love to find my original originals. 1980, are you kidding me? Ah, get out of here. All right so these may not be mine, alright, anyway, they're beautiful, beautiful things, wacky packages, I know, I know they should be sleeved, but, they're not, anyway, that was pretty cool, and, here is something else cool I found. map of wall drug, right, this is, uh, in South Dakota, at least back then, I think it still exists, you would see signs starting at, like only 2,500 miles to wall drug. It was like a drugstore. Right? And uh, it was this huge tourist attraction in, in the middle of nowhere. Well, it was in like a little town. It was in the town of Wall, South Dakota. And it was considered the ice water store. Like they, they had ice water. So this map, there's a mall, a cafe, an emporium, western sculptures, art galleries. It's amazing stuff, look at this. Oh wow, the uh this is definitely from like the eighties somewhere. This is the menu. What do they have to eat here? Hot beef sandwich two seventy five. <laughs> wow. Coffee's five cents. You have pop, large eighty nine cents. Eggs and toast, ham sausage or bacon two forty five. Wall drug charburger in a basket with french fries, dollar ninety eight. Wow. I think it's still there. It's just... uh When we went out to Montana, sometimes we went that way. <coughs> Here's the... I guess this is the history of it. On a hot summer day, a glass of ice water can be a, the summit of man's desire. But who has ever heard of making a fortune of it? Ted and Dorothy have done just that. The Husteds bought a little drugstore in Wall, South Dakota, population 700, on a shoestring back in 1931. It just goes on and on. Let me let me see if there's any modern representation of Wall Drug. Let's just go to Wall, South Dakota and Google Maps. And uh, yeah, it's a very small town, and uh, Wall Drug, let's see if it's still there, or did it go the way of the Vegemoles, I don't know. The Wall Drug Store, here it is, okay. It's four stars, 3,267 reviews. All right, let's see what they have to say here. Let's see. Hold on. All right, let me try to the street view here, see if, see if we can look at this place. Houston's Wall Drugstore, Soda Fountain, Homemade Ice Cream. Yeah, the Ice Water Store. Yeah, it's still there. Let's see if there's any photos from the inside of it. I mean, if you're in the area, I suggest going. I don't know if it's worth, uh, obviously, going out of your way to go there, but... Any good reviews of the place? 3.5 stars two months ago. This was a drugstore many years ago. Now it's a melting pot of things. Shops to shop at, props to take pictures with, eateries. Well, that's what it was back in the 70s, too. Get out of here. These people don't understand. They were actually looking for a drugstore? (laughs) I mean, it's called Wall Drugs, but please. Yeah. Yeah, there's the mall section. It's like gift shops. And I I remember there were audio animatronics like uh, Singing Sam the Gorilla Man that was all like deformed and broken. There's an art gallery. Any uh, any of the audio animatronics? No. Yeah, in the backyard they had those big, like there was a giant jackalope you could sit on. I don't know if there's any pictures of that. I don't know if they're still doing that stuff. Anyway, that's enough for wall drug. Yeah. Anyway, this sardine story, I I don't even know if this is true. I just glanced at this. Um, A tinned fish wonderland lands in Manhattan with $44 gold cans. The fantastic world of the Portuguese sardine has opened in Times Square with simple to fancy gold-flecked options. So giant canned sardine store in Times Square? It's a very dreamlike. I, I don't know. Is this even real? Let me see. The new store in Times Square looks like a glitzy two-story bookshop with rows of published works replaced by sardine tins. As soon as I walked in the door, one of the clerks stepped up to warn me, all we sell here is fish. The hell? It's the first U.S. store of the fantastic world of the Portuguese sardine, one of over 20 shops with a rest in Portugal. It's set up like a sardine time machine with cans chronologically arranged by the year stamped on top of each one, like fine bottles of wine running from 1916 to present. So I was thinking they're like, you know, like vintage sardines. They get better. Uh, Located at 1582 Broadway on the southeast corner of 48th Street, the shop is run by Portuguese sardine company Comur, which signed a 10-year lease for the space. founded in 1942. It's one of Portugal's largest canners, still pursuing a preservation method that may seem old-fashioned to some Americans. Yet tinned fish has been on the rise, especially lately, driven by TikTok, with tinned fish garnering tens of millions of views. And companies like Fishwife having grown 9,900% since it opened in 2020. Mm-hmm. It turns out the dates stamped on the cans are illusory. They are all canned around the same time and most cost $15 per 4 ounces. It's a marketing ploy, one clerk told me. It allows customers to buy a can as a gift that marks a recipient's birth year. Each can also highlights an important event of that year and the birth of one or more celebrities. Okay, yeah. It's like a big gimmick. Ugh, great, well as a vegan i will not be partaking in the fantastic world of the portuguese sardine get out of here <coughs> here's a quick one the um there there used to be this junkyard by by the where uh, bloomfield avenue and route 46 met and i had my own experience at that junkyard uh I was driving down the Bloomfield Bloomfield Avenue and someone cut me off and I flipped him the finger. But then, because I wasn't looking, I, I wound up driving up on the curb and blowing out two tires. So somehow I went to the junkyard to try to buy tires so I could get back. <laughs> it was so stupid. It was so weird. But the junkyard was right there. And then I drove to a, a an auto repair place and I had no brakes. So I got to a light and it, the car just kept going. But I turned. There was no one coming the other way. I turned smoothly into the uh the auto repair place, and the momentum you know and the the friction i i, I just came to a stop immediately said so, and i didn't crash into anything with no brakes so there was this junkyard that shut down and now they're building a, a housing there a big you know they're building those everywhere those those huge housing complexes like on route twenty two there's um there's a place that used to be the uh Amusement park called Bowcraft, and now it's a housing complex. But this one, I, I, it's looking more and more kind of like the Overlook Hotel from The Shining, the movie The Shining from 1980. It's definitely getting Overlook Hotel vibes. It's pretty wild because I, I, as I'm dri- I drive it past it whenever I, I, I drive down 46 to my parents' house. It's getting like an Overlook vibe. I don't know if that was deliberate. That's kind of creepy, right? <coughs> I didn't compare it, but I just got that vibe. Anyway, um, Fish, my favorite band, Fish, P-H-I-S-H, not like Sardine Fish, the other fish. Uh, this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday, so it was the 25th and 26th of August 2023, are gonna be playing at, uh, SPAC, which is a Saratoga Springs Art Center, I think. Or Saratoga Performing Arts Center, which is in upstate New York. The aforementioned upstate New York, uh, From that article. And it's going to be free. Completely free. You can watch both shows for free on YouTube. They're like charity shows. And they'll be encouraging you to contribute to their cause. I think flood victims in this case. But you can watch fish. If you heard me talking about fish and you're like, I'd like to watch one of these shows, but I'm not going to cough up 30 bucks to watch it. This is free. Free fish, okay? Check it out on uh, on YouTube. Free fish. I know you're going to like it. Hmm. Anyway I'm looking here Yeah, I, I have a lot more topics But I'm running out of time here I gotta get my hair cut I haven't eaten anything today I gotta get moving So we'll draw this one to a close And I'll continue this show uh, I'll continue this stuff on the next episode As, it's, uh, as I'm out of time at this moment <laughs> Listen, it happens so I want to thank you so much for patching into this episode of the Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. I'm here in Nutley, New Jersey. And uh we're here in OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside a book. It is the it is a radio station inside a book, and uh you are listening to it right now. You can go to onsug.com for all the information you need. O n-s-u-g.com is short for overnight Escape underground. O N-S-U-G. You go to OnTuck.com, you can check out all the latest shows, and you can uh, you see an image of the book there. You can buy the previous edition of the book as a print-on-demand title. So you can actually own it. I have a copy right here. Physical book. It's very nice. It's more, Unlike digital content, the physicality of it just stays the same oh, year after year. It doesn't change. It, it just persists. <clears throat> and I'm working on a new edition. Uh, Also, you can download a PDF of this book as it was published in 2021, or you can download the latest rendition, which also includes the latest cover. As I mentioned, I've been doing a lot of work on the cover recently. And uh, the ultimate goal is to have the audio playing inside the book, as I think I mentioned earlier, with that uh, starting channel. Uh, But for now, you can just listen on the Internet Archive. And your voice can be in the Archive very easily. Just uh, check out a show called Overnightscape Central, new topic each week by Mr. P. Q. River this topic I think we have uh, well I think today is a deadline actually for for the cars episode I did mine talked all about cars you can hear me talking about cars for like 40 minutes you can record your segment it could be as long as you want it could be 30 seconds long it could be 20 minutes long uh, or 40 minutes Like it can, there's no limit whatever is practical whatever seems practical you know once I get going on a topic usually I keep going I, I, I try to wind it down by about 40 minutes so uh, I think i used to try to do 30 minutes but like i said once i get going if, if i feel like i'm on a roll i don't want to stop you know what i mean so check it out you just listen to the latest episode you get all the information you need essentially you'll just record audio if you have a whole studio set up that's fine or if you just use your phone you have a recording studio in your pocket it's your it's your smartphone get a little program that records mp3 and then you can just email that to pq river couldn't be easier please do we'd love to hear from you And now it is time to shift gears to a South Dakota of the soul, an audio wonderland that exists inside the books of puppets of the puppet books. It's a land of puppet books known as The Other Side.
3: Tell you the truth, I didn't think we could do it. Tell you
4: the truth, neither did I.
1: Sunday is another entertaining night on Channel 7. Be sure to watch The Gambler, starring James Conn and Lauren Hutton, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Sunday night, troubled children find a cause to believe in and a second chance for themselves. Billy Mummy stars in Bless the Beasts and Children, Sunday night at 11 on Channel 7. It is the continuing intention of WLS-TV to make available public service announcement time to responsible, non-profit community organizations for the purpose of publicizing events of general interest. If you'd like details, write to Public Service Department, WLS-TV, 190 North State, Chicago, 60601.
3: Frank Lloyd Wright.
1: The Guggenheim Museum in New York.
3: Designed by the world-famous architect at the age of 90. Grandma Moses, American artist who started painting at the age of 78, the great lady of American art.
4: Louis Armstrong, ambassador musician who dominated the world of jazz
3: for 40 years. Helen Hayes, received an Oscar for her performance in the film Airport, the first lady of the theater at 70. Eugene Ormandy,
4: In a society such as ours, we sometimes forget that great accomplishments are not the privilege of the young. George
3: Washington Carver. Established a research foundation
4: at... These are famous people, but each of us in his own way can make a contribution to life around us in our 60s or 70s. For ideas on active retirement, write the American Association of Retired Persons, AARP, Box TVW, Washington, D.C., 20006.
1: Strengthen the chains of progress give to the United Negro College Fund.
5: Good morning. Keep on keeping on. That means you. Keep on keeping on. I'd like to think about Luke, the seventh chapter, and the 27th verse. And this passage of Scripture reads as follows. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. We shall keep on keeping on. As we plant the seeds of new ideas, a progressive attainment, as we begin to push growth upward, each day we ought to desire to be more successful and more peaceful and more understanding about our loved ones and others all around us in the world. We sustain the forward and upward growth. We weed out all of the negative and destructive ideas that would destroy a successful harvest. We treat ourselves to know that with diligence and a constant monitoring of our consciousness along avenues of progress, our desired goals will be attained because we know that we're going to keep on keeping on. Daily, we are inheritors of the ever-flowing intelligence of God and its unfolding wonders through us at all times we can widen our horizons and step forward with progressive ideas into successful attainment recognizing that we are constantly being taught by the indwelling presence we work toward successful endeavors to seek to do more to have more and to express more of our divine nature therefore Do this for me. This day, let's recognize that God is all-powerful and that we are one with his power, living in a consciousness of success and of accomplishment. Problems in human relationships and in our work are surmounted, and we're embarking upon a fresh avenue of enthusiasm by aligning our thoughts and ideas with the divine Noah within us. Remember these words as I conclude. The love of God surrounds you, The presence of God protects you. The power of God watches over you. Wherever you are, God is, God is, God is.
1: This is WLS-TV, Channel 7, Chicago's first television station, transmitting on circular polarization from atop the Sears Tower. WLS-TV, now serving 8.5 million Chicago-area residents, is a member in good standing of the National Association of Broadcasters and subscribes to the NAB Television Code of Good Practices. The time is now 2.42 as we leave the air. We invite you to tune in again tomorrow for the finest in television programming. Good night.
4: This is WIK 22 and WBE 787.
3: first Halloween Movie 17 feature, we invite you to stay tuned for the feature Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. It's next on your movie channel, Atlanta's WTBS.
6: Let me show you how you can laugh at the cold. He's never cold, thanks to Daymart. He's never cold, thanks to Daymart. They're never cold, thanks to Daymart. You too can laugh at the cold like the people you just saw. Thanks to Daymart and their thermalactyl underwear. It's the softest, warmest underwear you can find. It keeps you warm, no matter how cold and windy it is, or how long you stay outside. And yet, unlike ordinary thermal material, which is usually thickly padded, bulky, and really uncomfortable, Daymart is soft and light. The secret is that Daymart lets perspiration out, but won't let the cold air in. Yes, Daymart made with miracle-like thermolactyl fabric lets the perspiration through. So you always stay warm and dry. It is knitted to retain and reflect your body warmth. Nothing else does this like Daymart. Daymart has earned the good housekeeping seal. Daymart Thermolactyl is so comfortable and warm. The Mount Everest climbing expedition wears it. So does the U.S. bobsled team and the New England Patriots, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Chicago Bears football club. Our free color catalog tells the full Daymart thermolactyl story and shows the whole Daymart line for men, women, and children. Send for your free copy now. To receive your copy of this free catalog without obligation,
3: call toll-free 1-800-257-1234. In New Jersey, call 800-232-6966 or write to Daymart Catalog, P.O. Box 7500, Atlanta, Georgia 30357, and you'll receive a free catalog showing men's, women's, and children's styles without any obligation to buy. The Atlanta Network is a group of people living in the Atlanta area who want to teach, learn, or share common interests with one another. To find out how you can be a part of this group, call 636-9096. play with dead things. It's the story of an acting company on location who come in contact with creatures of the night. We do hope you will enjoy it. <laughs> line You feel like that one or
7: Hey. Hey, over here. <laughs> oh. Here. Here.
3: Uh-huh. Oh. 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 <laughs> That's how it. Hey. You get it when I'm couldn't ready. <laughs> Isn't it funny we see one another every day in the office and we have to go to Berlin to get to know each other, Christine.
6: Well, let's drink to Berlin. How about it? I believe the next round's on you.
3: Right you are. Two more Camparis, honey.
6: Right
3: on. Hi. Hello, honey. You two are early birds today. The usual poison? Say. Who are the two studs? A couple of big spenders from the west. They look all right for two dudes. Looks like they're pretty hard off. They skip the city, too, to make eyes at their secretaries. I wish they gave me a little dictation. Get your stenopad and go to it. Can we get them away from those two birds? So you feel like a little bit of fresh country air, do you? The usual swimmers in this pool of iniquity are slowly beginning to get on my nerves. As well as a few other places. Hey. Hi, ladies. How's the sideline coming? Right up. Uh, hi there. Hi, kid. Hello. Mm. There you go. Yes, they look lethal. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Here's something yeah, to watch
7: yeah, your whistles <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, high tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah?
6: More like well. a tie ball. <laughs> <laughs> watch your hand,
3: are right? Cheers, everyone. Well, let's check out those two big spenders before their secretaries start making it. I want the bozo on the right. Who cares? Their wallets are all that interests me.
6: Hey. I hope that
3: hair dye doesn't come off in the water. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get back to the game. Whose turn was it? Mine! Okay, girls, half-time's over. This is my It's
6: an improvement on the tour bus.
3: I
7: hope we're not getting in your way, ladies. <laughs> Free country. Have a ball. Who
6: <laughs> thank <You> fast, Chris. <laughs> Too late. <Yeah. laughs>
3: <laughs> Ooh. Uh, sorry about that, I wasn't aiming at you But since we've already met Why don't we take advantage of the situation And uh, invite you to win the game
6: hmm. What do you say? I can't think of any better way for us to meet those gentlemen
3: Fine, then you take up your position over there Hey, Dieter, you're on <laughs> Get her, get her, Dieter Here, here uh, what about oh. me? Just a second.
7: Can- oh. oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Good right. oh, oh, Peter! My oh, hey,
3: hi. 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 Hey. Hey. You enjoy
6: yourselves. I don't feel like playing anymore. Hold on. Wait for me. I'll be right back, gang. Hey, take your time.
3: Okay, now you get in the middle. It's your turn next. I don't feel like competing with
6: professionals. Let's go somewhere else. Fine with me. But where? Let's go to the country. We can swim outdoors there. Okay, you tell them we're going. We're
3: off to the river, fellas. The sun's out, you know. Come on, girls. We're having fun. How do you like that? You've got your work cut out for you. So long. Bye. Oh, sorry about that. We didn't mean to chase your girlfriends away. Ah, don't worry about it. They're just a couple of girls from the bookkeeping department. We're all here on a company outing. You mean you're strangers in town and you're wasting your time in a swimming pool? Just wanted to grab a quick swim before going to town. Yeah. we've had our swim. Now it's about time we visited a few points of interest. You two are local natives. You must know your way around. All right. Let's show these two fellas the bright spots of Berlin. You're in for a few surprises. Sounds great. That's what we came here for. <laughs>
2: For example,
6: listen, miss, I've got a problem. I can't believe you sell this stuff to people. I bought this milk a couple of days ago and it's bad already. What if I drank it and got sick? I could have ended up in the hospital.
3: Let
5: me tell you, I don't need this kind of aggravation. I can understand how you could be upset about that, ma'am. And I'm sorry for any inconvenience it has caused you. Our policy is a 100% satisfaction with everything we sell. So I'll be happy to refund your money. That would be fine. I'll be honest with you. I love your produce department. That's why I shop here. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. And I'll take care of your refund right away and bring this to the manager's attention. Thanks for shopping in our store.
2: Notice that the employee was focused completely on satisfying the customer, not on debating the merits of the complaint. The milk may have turned bad, but it's not our job to judge our customers. Our only responsibility is to satisfy them. In general, we should never refuse a customer. If you can't satisfy them or are not authorized to grant their request, simply refer them to a manager.
7: May I have your check cashing card, please? Oh, I don't have one.
5: I'm sorry, I can't accept a check without a check cashing card, unless it's been authorized.
7: Well, where do
3: I get authorization?
5: Let me call my front end manager to help you. It'll only take a minute.
6: Barry? Mrs. Greenberg would like to pay for her purchase by
5: check, but she doesn't have a check cashing card.
2: No problem, Mrs. Greenberg. I'd
6: be happy to help you. Okay.
2: You can see that the cashier used all the clear steps. She remained calm and didn't get upset with the customer. She listened to the customer's position. She empathized with her situation. She apologized for the problem. And in this case, because she wasn't authorized to satisfy the customer, she stated the company policy and then referred her to the manager. Again, another potentially negative situation was turned around to be positive for the customer. There are a number of situations that should always be referred to a manager and not handled personally. These include any customer complaint involving employees, any complaint or situation involving an unsafe condition, accident, or injury, and any complaints about policies that are set by law. These might include what can be bought with food stamps, restrictions on selling cigarettes and alcoholic beverages, smoking in the store, or any health code requirements. Handling challenging customer situations can be unnerving, but they're really not difficult. Just remember not to get emotionally involved. Simply focus on satisfying the customer, without debating rightness or wrongness. From there, the steps to take are clear. Stay calm, listen to the customer without interrupting, empathize with the customer's situation, apologize to diffuse the customer's dissatisfaction, resolve the situation if you can, and if the situation can't be made satisfactory immediately, refer the customer to a manager who can satisfy the customer. You've learned many skills today. How to maintain and enhance the shopping environment, how to be courteous and provide customer assistance, and how to handle challenging customer situations. Using and practicing these skills will help you to provide the best possible customer service and really be the difference that keeps customers coming back to our stores. There's a difference
6: you sense here. You can see it everywhere.
7: more we 2007. Harry Wyckoff
4: is an ambitious attorney Everybody knows you're making partner Who has it all You're the best thing that's ever happened to me, Grace But Harry wants more How would you like to work for me? At five times your old salary Greed is about to trap him
6: You're with us now
4: Between good and evil We're talking two groups Political enemies. The defenders of freedom.
3: One day you're going to find out that our country no longer belongs to us.
4: And their oppressors. Senator Tony Kreitzer. A corrupt elite. We are the cardinals of this cathedral. Beaming virtual reality into homes around the world. He is our Alexander, and he will conquer the countries of our imaginations one by one. And we will dream him. Using it to seize power through intimidation. This better be good.
7: I'm going to do some cutting now, okay?
4: Seduction. Pull him in. Show him the wild blue sky.
3: I want you to touch me.
4: And mind control. I
3: have seen the future.
7: It shows me. For
4: Harry Wyckoff, the nightmare has just begun. I think
3: we things you can't imagine. Who's dangerous? Ah! My eyes!
6: There's more than one reality.
4: The marriage was arranged, Harry.
6: They have taken my baby and given me the son of another. Did you think there wasn't a price to pay? I
3: don't like being ambushed, Paige.
6: I'm not going to let them hurt you.
3: He betrays you everywhere. You don't know what you're up against.
4: Oliver Stone, the director of theatrical and home video hits Platoon, Wall Street, and JFK, brings to home video the entertainment event of the year. Wild Palms.